We're doing villains now, I'm Dracula. Villains. Dracula. podcast where we look at the various films nominated for MTV Movie Awards in various categories and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Craig, a foremost villainy expert. Um, and joining us today, it's, I forget what you were an expert in last time, I want to feel it was North Carolina, but that's just because we talked about that a lot, but there's no <laughs> North Carolina today, but uh, I'm going to say... I'm, an expert in the culture of schools that might get movies based off of them one day. Uh, Maggie Grossman is back with us. How are you doing, Mags? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me back. Yeah, thanks for coming back. You picked an exciting one to come back for. Um, Obviously, last time you were on, it was all TV, and now it's all movies. It's... It's all movies. Uh, It's all bangers. I feel so blessed to have this crop of movies yeah Yeah, mostly bangers yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah it's uh this is a strange year um i think i i've had my uh my sneaking suspicion that um that whoever makes these nominations lists uh doesn't like to consider animation um and that's so true Considering that, like, Dodgeball got in, like, before The Incredibles or Shrek 2 for villains, which is insane. <laughs> yeah. This is this is the MTV Movie Awards. This is for cool kids. Like, I guess people know? just really liked that little, like, Milkshake Brings All the Boys to the Yard dance Ben Stiller did during the post-credit base I mean... Dodgeball scene. Ben, you're a little bit younger than us, so you wouldn't know this, but Dodgeball was huge at the time. Like, <laughs> I definitely had seen it. Um, it's just like it was. It's just it's 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 an odd one. It's an odd ball out, really. Yeah. Um. I'll say it makes sense. It was nominated because it was like very popular. Um. Like definitely something you'd want there what doesn't make sense is maybe that it won over what i would say is about three iconic villain performances and then one that's also like i think better than dodgeball like not to spoil my like rankings too much but like i said it's kind of vague but just yeah i'm not surprised at all that it was nominated because like kenny said it was so huge uh, I actually, I had to look up to see that it was nominated instead of Anchorman, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was nominated in a different category that year. Uh, yes. But both of those movies were were just huge cultural moments, for better or for worse. Yeah, Anchorman, of course, was nominated for Best Fight. Um, it lost to a Kill Bill Volume 2 fight, but 
that's another thing. What, like we, Kill Bill Volume One won last year. What, why do we not just nominate Bill this time? <laughs> the world was uh, had had white Goodman fever. I don't I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> that's yeah, that's really strange. And it's like this is like kind of a banger year as well because when we did our uh, our kiss list, like that was also except for Electra. Electra was so bad. Um, but all the other ones were like really good. Like 2005 is, is repping strong. Oh yeah. This is the notebook year where we gave it yeah. to the girl next door unanimously. <laughs> listen, listen, uh, kissing is complicated. You know, uh, villains are simple, you know, they're, yeah. they're bad or they make you laugh, but kissings are much more nuanced. I think we agreed that if the like on stage kiss they did for accepting the award was eligible, it would have won. Like if that was what we were judging. Yeah. About. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um oh but Max before we get too far in, of course, since you have not appeared on Best Villain yet, I have to ask you, what is your history with villainy and evil in movies or otherwise? I think uh, the closest brush that I've come with villainy and evil uh has to be teenage bullies uh which is why i am drawn so much to this year and mean girls uh you know there's nothing more villainous than uh than a teenage girl with stick straight blonde hair uh who is filthy rich and wears uh juicy couture every day to school so uh that's the ultimate villain in my eyes uh no question yeah i don't know i don't know how much uh you know if if that's the same vision you have of a of a teenage bully uh growing up but it's a it's a very visceral concept to me yeah and think of how much scarier it would be if they had four robotic arms <laughs> they might as well yeah ben and i are from like the summer camp world i do a lot of work with kids like it's teen like teen, teen girls like sometimes like can't get much like more evil than that <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there is there is something um rooted deep inside uh and it, it is it is really it is really terrifying you know yeah uh sometimes it feels like the world is full of mean girls and nice guys another good movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh i think there was a bit at camp where i literally bought two dvds just so i could have them next to each other of mean girls and nice guys with <laughs> ryan gosling and is it who is it? it's russell crowe um, right Russell Crowe, yeah, yeah, because yeah. Russell Crowe is like every day looking more and more like um, John Goodman, so it's very confusing to go back. You bought them, or did you just pull them? Because uh, not to get too much into the camp weeds, but I used to just bring a bag of movies, some oh, of which yeah, were for was... like movie night options, and some of which were just for like potential personal yeah. use. And I feel both of them would have been in that. Bag. Oh yeah, no, I think that was definitely from <laughs> from your your magical bag of movies. <laughs> Right, I think I remember this. You pulled them out, and then like you had to put them away because neither of those were like appropriate for a summer camp setting. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't think any of them would have worked. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, but the 2005 MTV Movie Awards were, of co course, hosted by Jimmy Fallon. I feel I feel that's the second time hosting. Um, but obviously, but this is before he becomes like just the Tonight Show guy. A special award, the Silver Bucket of Excellence, was presented to the 1985 film The Breakfast Club. Um, assumedly because it's been 30 years. And then, sure. yeah, and then Tom Cruise also got the first ever MTV Generation Award, which then becomes kind of their special award. It kind of replaced Lifetime Achievement, which what they had done in the nineties, and was a joke award. And then they gave it to Clint Howard, and he was so touched that they like had to retire it to like avoid him ever finding out it was just a joke. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I think no. and, yeah, and there's also is this the only year that has uh best video game based on a movie? Um yes. <laughs> Which passes guests and yeah, Shane Cannon has like pitched to me, you and Ben should do that as like our one off, and I'm like, I'm a university student, I don't have time to play five video games. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're telling me you don't want to play the Chronicles of Riddick Escape from the Butcher's Bay? Okay, I've played <laughs> Spider-Man 2, and I've played The Incredibles, probably, and probably Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, to go to, like, what my interests were at, like, the video store when I, like, rent video games. <laughs> but, you know, maybe... I said that'd be, like, a year three thing, once, like, we have more time on our hands, but... Um, mm -hmm. When you get those, you know, rich sponsorships and... Patreon money coming in, you know, that can... Yeah. Exactly, like, Chronicles of Riddick, do you want to sponsor us? We'll promote your <laughs> PS2 game. <laughs> um, oh, this was the first year for Best Frightened Performance, which went to Dakota Fanning in Hide and Seek. Oh yeah, the first Saw movie is this year, though I kind of get them not giving it to Jigsaw, because in the first Saw movie, it's kind of a twist who his identity is supposed to be. <laughs> okay, I was wondering about that. I have not seen Saw, but now I remember the twist. Yeah, it's like like the guy who, and I don't know why I'm blanking on his name when he's about to become like a part of two back-to-back -back episodes. Uh, oh, to Tobin, Tobin Bell becomes yeah. like a lot bigger part of like, yeah. Famous, he, famous for his uh, two seconds in Goodfellas, where he's like a he's like a bellhop or something. Yeah, he's he's also in Saw for like not that much. Well, actually, I guess a lot of time. I I'm not gonna get too much into like the the Saw weeds, but it's like it's revealed he is in the room longer than like you realize he was in the room. Yeah, are how are you? Are either one of you like pretty familiar with the Saw movies? I've seen three uh, of them now. Okay. I I I cannot uh, stomach uh, oh, a yeah. saw. I I do. I might have like a mild spoiler, um, but uh, I think like Tobin Bell's character is like he's like he's in a lot of them, but like I don't. I'm like it's always a really stupid reason why he's there or why he's like showing up. They get they get pretty derailed by the end. He also he. Like, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it, but, like, he dies earlier in that franchise than you would expect. 
Yeah, so like it's that, funny yeah, that he keeps being there. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't think anyone would be upset if they if the next Saw movie just pulled like a he was alive the whole time and had like several twin brothers. Spiral <laughs> two from the book of Saw two. <laughs> oh yeah, but that was another huge cultural moment. I mean that really. You know, everybody was talking about Saw. Uh, yeah, that year. Yeah, last last episode, or Ben and I talk uh, a little bit about kind of the, the the brief moment of like Japanese horror with the Grudge and the Ring both being like really like pop popular things. But yeah, it was quickly like supplanted, I think, by the rise of Saw. Um, um, but but this this crop of movies was was like a really interesting group uh, yeah <laughs> with with notable uh the notable uh snubs that we've talked about and then um you know i will we'll get into it but it, it, it's it's just a it was such an interesting group of, of, of movies for villain yeah it it's a really interesting group it's i'm going to say like i'd have to look back on it but even even with like the result i want to say it's like one of the strongest top to bottom villain groups i think we've had so far i don't know if ben will back oh, me up on this I th- yeah i think that's true because like as much as you know we, we uh dogged a little bit on the dodgeball one like the fact that that is the worst one this week speaks volumes and like the other four are like elevating it so much like this, yeah this is definitely our strongest group yeah um Oh, and before we get into it, we must bring up again that this is the year that Nine Inch Nails pulls out of performing because MTV wouldn't let them perform using a backdrop of President George Bush. It wasn't going to be, like, <laughs> they weren't going to do anything to it. They just wanted to, like, perform against it, and they wouldn't let him. So that's when Trent Reznor was like, apparently the image of our president is as offensive to MTV as it is to me. It's hysterical. <gasps> Yeah. And Anchorman and Mean Girl were the most nominated films this year with four nominations. So not a lot considering that we're a couple of years off. Well, I mean, I guess the most typically like the really heavy nominated films top out at eight unless you're Speed or Star Wars The Face Force Awakens. <laughs> also... Best yeah, best villain this year was presented by Vin Diesel and Jennifer Connelly. Oh wow! Could I assume Vin Diesel was in uh, Riddick, just based on the video game coming out? I forget yeah, if Jennifer guess Riddick Connelly is also in Riddick. Um, is is Fast Four coming out? I don't think um, so. No, Fast Four is a couple years off. Maybe Jennifer Connelly was there to promote Dark Water? Sure. It's always a mystery, some of these combinations, because sometimes you're like, okay, yeah, that's Samuel L. Jackson was the only Phantom Menace cast member who would go, like, babysit Jake Lloyd while they presented an award. Like, just... And sometimes it's just weird combinations like that where you're like, what do they have in common? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but without further ado, 
Oh, Hilary Duff introduced the Foo Fighters who replaced Nine Inch Nails. Wow. Yeah, um, but without further ado, for Best Villain uh, 2005, the nominees are Jim Carrey, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, Tom Cruise, Collateral, Rachel McAdams, Mean Girls, Alfred Molina, Spider-Man 2, and the winner, Psy. Ben Stiller in Dodgeball, a true underdog story. A movie I watched a bunch when I was 12, and it does not hold up. Oh, man. Um, do you want to... I mean, do you want to Do you want to start with Dodgeball? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we like start with hold. the winner. It's, yeah, we always start with the winner. Um, we gotta say, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, like, this movie is like... I'm trying, I had I can't remember the other example, but I like it reminds me a lot of like stuff like um like Talladega Nights, um and there was another one that I, or uh, and um was it? I love you man, uh but it's much worse than those two movies, um but like that's the kind of vibe this movie goes for, um I think it's like I think its biggest problem is that it has way too much going on, um. And it like, I think this is like the one example um, in or one of the few examples in this podcast where I think my biggest criticism is that I wish this movie was a little longer and could actually like, like tell its jokes to completion instead of like rapid firing out 40 different wacky characters. Um, You know, like, like this movie has all like the classic, you know, sports team archetypes, you know, like the the old timer, the kind of young scrawny run, the pirate, um just all these classic tropes you've got learned to love. Um, but it just it never it never lets any of them breathe. Um and that goes for like almost all of its like kind of characters. Except for I guess like the Ben Stiller villain does have like the most scenes, but he's also like he's Ah, his his bit just isn't that strong. So you believe this movie could be improved if it was longer? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, yeah. like Ben so unpredictable. <laughs> you know, Listen, always I, coming I, out. You never know. <laughs> yeah, because like I think near the end, it like I think it had like jokes have more of a time to breathe. Um, what's the name of the guy? He's one of the announcers. He plays like the fox from Zootopia. He's much famous, or I'm sure his name is super easy. But what? Jason, what's Jason, Jason Bateman. Jason, That's uh, your pull for Jason <laughs> Bateman. Well, he was <laughs> that. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> um, but like his character is is he's throughout the whole movie, but like he never gets a chance to breathe. But during like the final scene, he probably he's like the funniest to me. Um, just oh, like, the yeah. the announcer bits are by far the the yeah. funniest part. Of I feel the movie. and I feel like they also like they put a lot of time and effort into like the in like the the sports graphics like for like the when it's like showing it as like perspective of it being like a channel like those are really nice. Um, yeah, yeah. This movie just has too much going on. It has like the pirate character and the old character, and then like the weird. There's two scrawny geeky guys, one of which falls in love with like. <laughs> The ugly Russian, or I think Russian, sorry if it's not Russian, um, like character on the evil team. Uh, she might have been from a made-up country. Yeah, like yeah. like 
Yeah, the Eastern European. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then, like, yeah, it's just, I feel like it just, it needed, every joke needed a little bit more time to breathe. Or just other stuff needs to be cut. I don't know. What what were your guys' impression? I guess this is this is your guys' generation's movie. Um <laughs> it's <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I mean, much like Kenny, this was a movie that came out at exactly the right time for me, in that I was I guess I was I think I was like my freshman year of high school and I feel like my friends and I watched it every weekend and thought it was just about the funniest thing that had ever happened on God's green earth. Um, and, uh, I was a little surprised to find out it really does not hold up. I had a suspicion it might not hold up and yeah, I was right. It's. Yeah. Uh, a few of yeah. Ago, some friends of ours rewatched it and they all have like really low reviews. And I'm like, there's no way it's that bad. <laughs> Like, I remember this being like, funny. It's pretty and I funny, it, right? Like, mm. It was like, oh, no. And I'm like, oh, it's a lot of gay panic jokes. Um, some fat phobic yeah. jokes. Uh, just- the fat phobia is really what sinks it for me. Uh, and it that does track a lot of with what was going on in the early 2000s. And uh, like, like gyms and like, working out was like really... Uh, you know, people having gym memberships, like all of a sudden, like if you were a teenager, like you would like have a gym membership or you'd go to the rec center, like when that wasn't ever really a thing before. Um, and so like all that like gym culture, I feel like was really on the rise at that time. And so that, you know, the whole, the, these two rival gyms, um, you know, being uh, sort of at the center of this movie made a lot of sense um uh but oh yeah all the the fat phobia jokes uh, just really are uh drag it down so much but steve the pirate that's i mean that's just comedy gold (laughs) also owen who is the character who falls in love with missy piles like russian character or eastern european character uh but he is played by joel david moore who, of course, was a recurring character on Bones for Ooh. several se- seasons there. Playing, he played Fisher, who was kind of Bones in season partway through the show. One, their main kind of intern character is goes to an asylum for aiding a serial killer, and instead of replacing him, they had a rotating cast of like. Squint turns, squint interns. Squint was already their term for like lab people. So he was the one who his bit was he was like a nihilist and he's like just very like cynical and depressed all the time. So it was funny seeing him in a bit of a different bit here. Let me just fill out my bones bingo card right quick. Got it? This isn't even the only time I got to talk about bones on this episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're. <laughs> We're starting the the bones web next to the Grey's Anatomy web. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's like, and I, it's like also like really tough, um, because like there, I think there are like there are jokes in this movie that are funny that need time to breathe, and then there are just jokes that like aren't funny, um, like, like I think you can, I think I think in Mean Girls, I think you can do like 
jokes that like pretty much the joke is that this person is being like racist a little bit and like the joke is more at them but like the wheelchair guy in this movie is just like racist and just says awful things and there's like no joke sometimes which is just like it's really like it's it's not good and it's also just kind of boring um which is like really upsetting it's like it's oh man i don't know how to put it into words it's definitely of this sort of genre of like mid-2000s comedy it is definitely probably the one like the least dis- deserving of like a legacy <laughs> like yeah telling, there was a there yeah. was a time where like people thought you could just say racist or ableist things and the fact that you said it could be a, a joke in and of itself and then it took a while for people to realize, no, just saying something that's racist and mean is just racist and mean, and you can't dress it up like it's a joke. Yeah, and Mean Girls is a good comparison point, because there is, like, I mean, that also has stuff that, like, has not aged particularly well, like the running bit where the coach is, like, a sexual predator um, with multiple re- relationships there, but that... And, but that's also one where, like, the everything else in it, it works well enough that I can always, like, look past those jokes. Also, because they are all presented like actual jokes where there's typically more going on than just, like, the terrible thing. Um, but yeah, this, yeah. this movie, it's, it's art where you're like, okay, yeah, you, you don't have much on there. So even though there's bits, like... I'll say, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. It's as funny as I remember it being when I was, like, 12. Like, yeah, that joke's really good. Um, the the bit of, like, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, $10,000 on TV, but something is lost in the translation. It's just, like, one, like, really small stack of bills. Like, that's pretty <laughs> funny. That's, like, a good, like, visual gag. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this movie, this movie, if it, if it, uh... If it just if it let its good jokes breathe and cut out its bad jokes, it would be it would be like up there with probably like not quite Talladega Nights, but at least up there with like I love you, man, in like something that's like really enjoyable. Um, yeah, I wonder to- if it would have worked as like a uh, Lonely Island sketch or like a like a long form Lonely Island sketch because there's there's not like a lot there when you think about it it's like oh, oh they're yeah. gonna play dodgeball to uh save their gym oh yeah Hot Rod Island Lonely Island like could definitely <laughs> yeah. make a much funnier movie um, I would yeah. probably still have if not William Shatner still have the joke where there's just someone who's the chancellor of dodgeball <laughs> yeah <laughs> we do need to talk about the cameos in this that like i clocked this time around that are what is it they have um um hasselhoff um, chuck norris chuck norris <laughs> yes. um and i'm like did i even know who these people were when i was watching this movie a hundred times in high school like what bizarre choices uh, to I mean, Chuck Norris was kind of having a bit of like, I think that's around the time when Chuck Norris jokes are really kind of... I guess he was kind of a meme. Yeah. It's like one of the original memes, but... Um... Yeah. Uh, the Lance Armstrong yeah. 
cameo is pretty funny though yeah, yeah. mainly in <laughs> retrospect like it's... now now that he is lance armstrong today yeah yeah no like he's like disgraced and <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh you know so i couldn't stop thinking about when i was watching it um also like i i will give the movie i don't know if um this was intentional or not but like i will give the like the whoever was in charge of this props that like lance armstrong like i i don't think he can act um so like giving him lines that sound really funny when delivered like not with super great timing and sort of like deadpan is like really funny like him going like oh yeah i'm sure this won't haunt you for the rest of your life like that is like it's working around someone that i assume like isn't like acting regularly in like a really funny way because there are like some cameos that just like don't work super well um just because like the person's like just not very good at it um but i i just wanted to give credit where credit was due with that and that like the his lines the way they were written were like perfect for the kind of delivery that he was giving yeah it's it's like you know like uh like oh yeah i'm sure i'm sure you're i'm sure you're quitting for like a really really important reason (laughs) uh yeah i mean vince vaughn it's one of his better movies you know he's playing this like everyman guy um I'm not a, you know. Yeah, I'm trying. Like, you kind of get man. what you, you kind of get what you get with Vince Vaughn. He's he's just doing his thing, but yeah, yeah. Vince Vaughn's good in it. Uh, yeah, Christine Taylor, who we previously covered for Best Kiss with a very Brady sequel. Um, she, <laughs> oh, that's she's right. Good, even though her character is often just kind of the girl, because half of it is they're like uh, office obfuscating whether or not her character like is is straight <laughs> but she's yeah not. the i'm bisexual she's... line was <laughs> sorry to step on it bed oh no it's all good uh, <laughs> that was also i mean the idea uh, that somebody could be bisexual was so titillating to especially high school boys um i mean that line would just get cheers and it's yeah. another thing that maybe hasn't aged quite so well yeah um bisexual representation still something i think people have not really figured out how to do in uh, visual media though i did re- recently binge uh, netflix's heartstopper show which is like a really love lovely like well-realized thing of a character kind of trying to figure out his sexuality and deciding he's bi um Pirates of the Caribbean is involved. Like it's... Hey. I, th- I thought you were going to say Pirates of the Caribbean is another grand example. Um, <laughs> Me too. And I was like, I haven't watched this in a while. I guess I missed out. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is... Um, it's... Yeah. I think this movie is... I think it's perfect that it's Vince Vaughn. Because, um, like, when I... Cause like when I I don't I don't know about you but like I don't have like an iconic Vince Vaughn like role in whenever whenever I think of him, like with everyone else like I feel like with other like sort of like sort of comedy front people there's like a couple like right away kind of like Ron Burgundy and like um uh like the guys from Dumb and Dumber but with like Vince Vaughn he just sort of like plays, wedding crashers yeah he just sort of plays like. <laughs> It is not much variety. He just sort of plays like a pretty, a pretty good like straight man. 
um with like really really good delivery like it's it's pretty standard but nothing exceptional kind of like this movie freaky ben (laughs) sorry he's great in have you seen freaky the no the what if friday the 13th had a freaky friday twist in it he oh yeah oh no he looks like he's good in that he always like does like a good job He's very good in it, essentially playing Catherine Newton. Uh, the the blonde girl from Blockers is your reference point for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do either one of us have any any final thoughts? I guess maybe we should probably... Well, we haven't talked about Ben Stiller at all. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> he's... I... Yeah, I feel like I, I touched on it a little earlier. The problem is, is that he has about as much like depth and like comedic value as like every other character like his bit is like as his bit is as complex as like the pirate guy um maybe even not as much because the pirate guy goes through a little bit of an arc um if you can call it that um so like it's i feel like you're in a in like a comedy where you have like a villain i feel like your villain needs to be very funny and like needs to be able like to either play off the the protagonist really well or like have like a really good bit and i feel like that's i feel like none of those are really present uh in this in this performance unfortunately ben Siller is good i think at being really loathsome like he and just yeah. being like really kind of off-putting and all those qualities are like present like I think the joke of his character peaks at his name is White Goodman, which is one of the first things you learn about him. Yeah, people constantly just calling him White is inherently very funny. And I was trying to think of what we thought was so funny about him and at the time. And he's got this dopey voice and demeanor and... uh, but it's just it's this very you know 14 year old boy humor where you know he electrocutes his nipples to stop himself from eating the donut which is again more like pizza like it's he's it's, he's a goofy guy you know yeah it's which is just the worst um but you know, look, we all loved when the team came out with the with the hissing dance. Um, and what more did we need at the time? Um, so all, all that reminds me. While while we're thinking about or talking about this, did okay, yeah? Are I were you aware of what the original ending to this movie was? I think Larry became the alternate one, but basically the idea that. Ben Siller was going to win the last match and it was just going to end with him winning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I think I do remember this. Yeah. It tested like really bad, which is why they were forced to change it to make it so that they won after all cuz he was just so hateable that you didn't want to see him win even if it honestly would have made it a better movie if like but yeah and then i think that's why that credit stuff is like there like before the milkshake thing where he's like oh i see just this is all you wanted huh like (laughs) it did seem like they were kind of mad that they had to change the ending of the movie i i'll be i'll be totally frank um 
I it's one of those things where him like in like a big fat suit is like not super funny, but it goes on for long enough that it eventually started it it was coming back around to going on way too long that it was it was becoming funny again just for how it it felt I don't know if pathetic is the right word. Um it just it was ridiculous. Um and it I think it did it was it was inching on getting a chuckle out of me right right before it ended. It was also just a reminder of how ubiquitous that song was. Uh, I don't remember exactly when that song came out, but boy, was it everywhere. I'll say, watching that sequence did bring a memory I had, like, forgotten. I feel I wasn't even there. This was just told to me, but, like, my friend group in, like, middle school and high school, there was one one guy who he wasn't even, like, fat, now that, like, I think about it, but he, he was just kind of bi- bigger than everyone else. And there was a thing where I think it was another one of our friend's brothers made him take his shirt off and sing my milkshakes while like dancing around shirtless, which I now realize was probably just a reference to this movie. And I was watching him like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, this, oh, no. that was in retrospect, really <laughs> terrible. Like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, before this, it was the, the truffle shuffle. There's always been, sure. yeah. There's always been a, a a a dance dance for that that type of genre through every generation. But now maybe we're moving out of that finally, which would be nice. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, so do we have any more dodgeball thoughts before we move on to the good movies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we're getting this one. Uh, out early you know as if it was the strongest member of an opposing dodgeball team we're getting it out early i'm just glad that uh we came out relatively well adjusted no matter how many times we saw this in our youth yeah it's i hope this film was no longer shown as frequently at schools as it was in like my schools when it used to be Oh, nothing to do for a period. Throw dodgeball on. Like, just, like... It was probably because there was a miscommunication. You know, they were supposed to be playing dodgeball, not watching it. <laughs> well, yeah, well, um, got that got that out of the way. Yeah, and now we can talk about Lemony Snicket's um, a series of unfortunate events. Nice. Yeah. Um, wow, this is actually, I just noticed, this is actually a strange week where I think I've actually seen all of these movies before. Um, uh, this one, probably the farthest away. Um, but uh, I guess for a little, a little context, I think my dad would read these books to me um, when I was a kid, and I don't remember much about them. Um I just remember that this movie is like the first three books, um, and then the fourth book takes place at like a mill. Yes. And that is also the first season of the recent Netflix TV show. Um, Uh, And that was kind of controversial, as I recall, that they were doing three books in the movie. People thought maybe that was trying to stuff too much material um yeah yeah which maybe is right but also like 
the books aren't very long, and especially the early ones aren't very complicated. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I could not imagine them doing just the bad beginning as a full length feature film. Yeah. They, these books are geared towards relatively young audiences. There's not a whole lot there. Yeah, like the Netflix show, which I believe is like. 40 minute episodes each and then did two book two episodes for each book except the last one which was just one but somehow they made made that work but even then like the books the early books were short enough that they had to like add a fair bit of stuff um, to, to like you could not have gotten just one movie out of the first book <laughs> yeah uh, but you both read these books then yeah I had I had them read to me. Um but yeah. I read all of them. Um <laughs> and Mags, you had you did not read these books? I did read I I feel like I had a like a set of the first maybe five of them or so. I remember reading the first few when I was a kid. Um yeah. Okay. And I and I and I remember really liking them, but I um I was like, I mean, not to brag, but I was a very advanced reader. Um, so I really liked these books because they were, you know, you know, they didn't talk down to kids. They were kind of dark. Um, but I and I always kind of struggled to find books that sort of towed that line between being about, you know, more, um, you know, being advanced reading but not being like adult books because i didn't want to read like boring adult books but i you know wanted to but i got bored by books that were actually about interesting kid stuff that i liked so um (laughs) it was it was it was tough i kind of felt like i had to read hard books but then i was like oh this this is boring this is about like you know adults in love or something yeah. stupid taxes you know yeah <laughs> mortgages yeah, this exactly. is just the this is just the this is just the tax code <laughs> see i was an advanced reader but i also like i, n- I don't really have that issue where i'm like i can read this book that's like a bit younger than me it's still enjoyable it's like he, he's wearing underpants and he's a superhero that's great like it's yeah i don't know why i felt this self-imposed guilt that it's like oh you know i shouldn't be reading this uh, it was it was too bad. I yeah. missed out on a lot of Captain Underpants <laughs> and Magic Tree Houses. Yeah, I uh, I super didn't read. Um, I remember once I I had to do like a book report, and I just picked up the novelize novelization of the Dumb and Dumber movies. I didn't read it. I just wrote my <laughs> book report based off the movie. Um, <laughs> I was I was very reading averse. Um, uh. <laughs> Which My brother's I, yeah. favorite books were these Matt, these Matt Christopher books that were like all these sports. He was really into sports. All he wanted to do was sports. And uh, this author, Matt Christopher, had a series of young adult middle grade books that was all like the kid who could only hit home runs and like the hockey player who could only shoot goals or whatever. They were all sports books. And like every every year for like four years, he wrote his book report on the same book the kid who can only hit home runs uh, until he finally got caught one of his teachers was like didn't you write this last year 
Well, yeah. See, and I and I like. So I, I feel it's like at the heart of our relationship, Ben, because even we've never talked about this, but I'm like, I don't think Ben read much. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, I didn't. I was a gamer. I was a gamer from a very early age. Like, <laughs> I didn't watch movies either. Like, it wasn't like it wasn't even uh, even that. I didn't. I didn't. I guess I did kind of watch cartoons, but I was like, I was I was a get home, watch like watch TV just because I had a rule where it's like you can't play video games until like four o'clock so i would just be really angrily watching thomas the tank engine i didn't <laughs> like it at all but i was like it was just like it was my clock um and then and the weird thing was uh is that like that was like a that was it wasn't a self-imposed rule like it was a rule for my parents but like they were not home like i didn't need to follow that rule <laughs> like but i still did and uh I probably have I probably have seen every episode of Thomas the Tank Engine because of it. Um, but yeah, like I didn't read it, I didn't watch movies. I just I just gamed all night long. Yeah, and I was a kid who, um, from the time I was very young, it was like my mom used to read me Doctor Seuss books. I feel this came up on like the Grinch episode when I was getting into my history there, and eventually I figured out I just kind of I learned to read kind of by memorizing those books. So I, so like I'm, and by there, I kind of gamed it out. I'm like, okay, now like word, word searches. But then in school, um, because I had what is now like autism and at the time it was like Asperger's, but it was undiagnosed. Like there was a time in like grade one where like, just cause I was a kid, it was like overstimulated. Like the, the teacher didn't think I was like that good at reading. So I was kept like at a very low reading level until yeah, until I got so bored I started reading the French off of cereal boxes at which point I was promptly moved to the highest reading level and like stayed yeah stayed there throughout but so these so these books it was also I did not read any of them until around when the movie came out because the like I, I think I kind of bought too much into the bit at first where the, the back's always like, these books are so unpleasant, you don't want to read them. And the illustrations <laughs> are kind of like dark and gothic, and you're like, ooh. And then, it's really dark. Yeah, so I'm like, oh man, well, I don't want to read some depressing book. Like, not realizing that it's very tongue-in-cheek and satirical. Um, and then for Christmas one year, like, yeah, the year this movie came out, I was given the first two books for Christmas by my, yeah, by my like, because I had I had a cousin who was just a couple of weeks younger than me, and also liked reading a lot and like that's a, we we had similar enough tastes where like my uncle's like yeah Kenny will like these so I read them I liked them and then five days later it's my birthday and hey here's the third book and now you're ready for the movie was kind kind of a oh, thing neat. and. Yeah, so so I kind of went went through there, and I believe by the time I had started reading them, there was about eleven of the books. It was it was nice as I didn't I didn't have to wait that long for well because they were at a pace for one a year, so it's like I finish finished through book eleven by the time for book twelve to come out, and then it was just one year late for kind of the thirteenth and final book, so this series i i love it a lot um it's still one where 
as much as like something like Harry Potter is one where I'm not sure I could really go back to it now and like read it and have the same experience uh whenever like I try and reread like one of these books I'm always like just drawn in like immediately like it's there it's just it's such a nice style and it's like such a good things and they're just really smart books where I think as yeah as Max kind of like mentioned you know their books don't talk down the children they're definitely like making fun of like children's books that over moralize or do do things like a common theme in the series is that somehow, no matter what problem they're having, there's some kind of solution found in, like, the library. And it's just this really, like... It's essentially just propaganda about the power of reading. But <laughs> uh, Daniel Handler, who wrote these books, also gave an interview where he's like, I just thought it would be really funny if, like, the Baudelaire's universe was just kind of dictated by books. Like, it's not supposed to be taken that seriously either. Like, it's... But... Yeah, but they're, like, nice books. Um... I also really appreciate them because uh, you you don't really get as much of that in this movie, which is adapting the early books. Because the whole thing with this series was Lemon uh, Daniel Handler, who took on the pen name like Lemony Snicket. He knew he wanted probably around thirteen, but no, but he was like not an established author, so no one was going to give him thirteen books. So he so he kind of so he wrote the first three or four. They all have a very similar structure, which is another reason why it makes sense to just adapt the first three as one, because it's all the thing of the Baudelaire's go to a new guardian. Count Olaf mm -hmm. is either already there or he shows up, stuff goes wrong, and then they go to the next place. But then once he secured that 13 books, that's where he starts kind of layering in stuff that this movie tries to do by, like, having the runner of the spy glasses and eventually going, yeah, they were all in a secret society, which is something the later books kind of had to do with these ones retroactively. But you get more of that. And then the books also, like, it, the Baudelaire's are increasingly forced into positions where they have to make dis choices that aren't necessarily good moral choices. And then it becomes a whole whole like thing about moral ambiguity and like growing up and realizing that everything's not so bla black and white and like the and the last couple of books in the series like are just honestly i would like rank them up there with like literature i read both in kind of their lessons both towards that and to the idea that the world is a series of mysteries and you will get the answers to some of them but some stuff you're just never going to know which well and um, and also just that that adults around you don't have the answers can't always be trusted you should be yeah. skeptical of the information that you receive from them i think those are really important lessons to uh give to kids that they don't always get from other uh sources yeah all the adults are like kind of even the even the well-meaning ones are like flawed in some way or unable to see see stuff like they're not all Mr. Poe, though Timothy Spall is so funny in this movie. Is just the most useless human being alive. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he's not, he's not, you know, it's not that he's, you know, uh, evil, uh, like Count really Olaf, dumb. but he's, he's just uh, bumbling and stupid. Yeah. And that's also in its own way, uh, a problem that you need to be aware of. Yeah, it's, but yeah, it's like that. 
beds, those kind of things, and, um, well, yeah, probably can start getting into these movies, but one of my, I mean, kind of, this film was sort of seen as a bit underwhelming, just because it is, like, the first three, and it kind of has to rush through some stuff, and then the Netflix series is better, but I have a bit of, I mean, I do think the Netflix series is really good, but I also have some issues with it because the Netflix series, like, tries to connect more things and then also provides a lot of answers and kind of makes the story feel ultimately just a bit smaller. And some people were like, finally, we learned what was inside. Um, Ben, you wouldn't know. A lot of the later bo- books, there is, like, this mysterious sugar bowl bowl that everyone wants and they never explain to you why or what's in it and then this one like and the series comes up with an explanation where like yeah this is what's in the sugar bowl and people were like finally and i was like we didn't need this like just it's a (laughs) mcguffin that's the whole point (laughs) yeah yeah i know stuff like that you kind of just want to leave it uh leave it to mystery right yeah like, the concrete things you learn by the end of the books are, what does VFD stand for? How, yeah, did Count Olaf kill, like, the Baudelaire's parents? Which this movie just gives you, but also, like, that that one is kind of, the answer's always there. And then, who is Beatrice? Which is, like, Lemony Snicket's love, who I don't believe gets mentioned in this, but it was another thing where everyone's like, oh, she's definitely the Baudelaire's mother, right? And then by the end, they're like, yeah, yeah, yes, of course she was their mother. Like, it's... <laughs> Mm. Uh, and that's also a fun thing about the books that I enjoyed was uh, the sort of relationship between Lemony Stickett, the narrator, and you, the reader, was kind of this fun, you know, inside track that you had that was kind of fun. And, and they do um, reenact that in a interesting way, I think, in the movie with the Jude Law narrator. Um speaking directly to the viewer i think i think that is an uh a little device that works pretty well yeah the jude law stuff is good though i'll say the one thing i will like i mean the netflix series has patrick warburton which i think it works even better because it's you know it's patrick warburton it's patrick warburton sure yeah Mm -hmm. i mean i i I really did like the jude law narration um this is also from um uh brad uh sil silverling who also did uh jane the virgin which we've covered before which is like which makes sense why like the narration is so good in this from my from what i think and also like the very fast-paced editing as well sorry i'm i have to confirm brad silverling was involved with oh yeah he will oh yes he did direct episodes of jane the virgin throughout oh I don't think I knew that, but he, yeah, yeah, he has an interesting case. He's, he directed City of Angels, which I bring up a lot because I'm excited to one day talk about that when we loop around to whatever 1998 category or 99 one it's applicable in, but, uh, but he's like an interesting director because before his kind of directing career started, it was a thing where he he did experience like this big tragedy in his personal life and then the first four things he does like casper city of angels moonlight mile which is directly about this kind of event and then this film they are all about like death in some way and like trying to deal with like the reality that people die um 
but also his current, but also his wife, Amy Brenneman, cameos as the Baudelaire's mother in this briefly. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a really, um, it, it does not shy away, I think, from the dark themes, um, which I don't know that, you know, there aren't that many properties aimed at children, first and foremost, that do that. Uh, I mean, it deals very, I mean, the, the kids are put in very imminent danger. Um, that's, that's not a hundred percent comedic i mean it's ultimately um heightened and um a sort of satire but uh it's dark yeah and like the leeches are always upsetting like oh yeah those are so that scared the hell out of me as a kid i didn't like that at all um and i I thought it was real too like i thought that like because like i think because as a kid i don't know how old i would have been when i saw this um like eight or nine or something like that um but like i because i i think i had heard about like piranhas and stuff like that and i had that idea in my head and i thought oh this is just another real thing that like if you eat an hour before you go in some water like things (laughs) will just come and swarm you and like i definitely thought that's how piranhas worked for a majority of my childhood um it was very very scary Well, I had a I had a very real fear of um, crossing train tracks. Uh, we had a um, we had train tracks pretty close to our house growing up that were like a freight train tracks. So really, really long freight trains would would go past on it, uh, and like my parents like instilled in us like. You know, every time you cross, like, make sure you look both ways twice, you know, don't stop on the tracks, blah, blah. Um, And then, you know, and like whenever, you know, we were driving the car and we crossed it, like I'd always, you know, hold my breath a little bit and like make sure, you know, like, oh, what if, what if something happened and the car stopped on the tracks and the train came? Like, that's like a very sort of little kid fear. Um, Although... Everybody should always be careful crossing train tracks and never stop on the tracks. Um, and then, the, you know, that there's a whole scene in this movie where, you're, you know, uh, it's and that's not even sort of the biggest um, problem they face. It's kind of the the first one. And I, I could barely watch it. Yeah. It's also the one thing that's invented for the movie because... The structure, of course, takes all the wedding stuff and puts it at the end of the film. So you need a different reason why they no longer with, live with Count Olaf. And yeah, I remember the train stuff being like, oh, wow, this is like intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, and like, oh yeah, no, I remember that definitely was another thing that like, this movie's full of like really like tense things and also like a lot of like death, like outside of like the outside of like the initial like setup of like the parents like um in like the fire like also like like their first sort of like non Olaf caretaker also just gets murdered um which is just like for like a for like a movie that like not aimed I aimed at like I guess like young adults um and kind of kids is like also like really really scary um especially considering they kind of like tease like a happy ending 
Um, and I think it just, it really does heighten, like, the the threat of Count Olaf. I remember, I remember reading the books and being very upset by the wedding sequence. And, I mean, partly because it's like, oh, the whole idea that somebody could force you into marriage, it's very upsetting, especially, like, a child. The whole thing is, I mean, it's bizarre, but it's, you know, um... But mostly just the idea that, and and sometimes this was kind of a recurring, you know, nightmare um, theme for me. But again, just there are all these adults around that Violet, uh, you, you know, in Klaus are trying to to tell them what's going on. And, and the idea of, as a little kid that you're not being believed or that the message isn't getting across um or by circumstances outside of your control uh there's just nothing you can do about it is um even in a situation that's absurd as this would never happen to you you're not gonna be accidentally child married in a play (laughs) yeah no i i still have like nightmares about like that thing of like you're trying so hard to convey information to people but they're just not getting it and like I think it's like something also like kids just also kind of deal with sometimes that like they feel like nobody's listening to them and that can be really scary. Yeah, I remember the wedding being like upsetting. Also, they they definitely like do it because in the books she gets out of that by like she just signs with her non-dominant hand and then through a loophole they do that. And then in the movie, like, she's about to do it, and he's like, hey, other hand. And you're like, what? No, what's going to happen? So, like, in the movie, they are technically married, except it's only, like, everyone's just willing to go, yeah, no, that didn't happen, because then the paper gets destroyed by, like, the hourglass from the tower, which, if, and, like, I'll say, like, I think this movie is better than I thought it was for, like, a while, if I there are some issues with it mainly but in giving Klaus like more to do with him like getting caught up with like the hourglasses and then having the big moment at the end it does kind of like create a situation where Violet is essentially a damsel in distress in the last part of the Mm -hmm. film like yeah yeah I think ultimately the material works better in book form than it does as a film I'll like they, I think the the stylistic things that they do are really fun, and I liked uh, the way that you'd sort of go in Klaus, uh, Klaus's mind's eye and see the books come off the shelf when he was trying to remember something from the from a book he read. Uh, just the overall uh, cinematography and the look of the thing, you know, I think is pretty good. Um, but I think the material is just more enjoyable and is sort of designed to be read in book form. And I don't think it adapted perfectly well. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's the thing. It is kind of like, it is a very literary series. And even though like, I think the Netflix version is like really good at getting a lot of the stuff that I love from the book so much, like, and this film does it a bit, but the, uh, but kind of the constant like use of big words and then definitions of them and then mm-hmm. it often going in words where like Miss, Mr. Poe will try and explain something that's like clearly everyone would know the meaning of but like the show's kind of good at getting that con- condescension down but you do kind of like 
it, this is a series that I think does work best in its original form as much as like you can still find value I think in different versions of it but it is like a, a book about like just people who read lots of books and like invent things and think creatively and yeah. totally yeah uh, what did we think of the villain this is definitely not me and Kenny's first um Jim Carrey <laughs> performance um but yeah I honestly I I think it's not bad um I think it's definitely helped that he's he's playing like three but I, I would give it like pretty distinct ish characters um that he's not I feel like if he was count olaf like the whole movie like if this if this movie was just the first book and i feel like that would be very much less enjoyable than i think it ended up turning out to be that he kind of gets to um gets to like be a couple different characters yeah how many jim carries have you covered oh by um, uh, yeah the the riddler riddler the cable guy um Grinch. Grinch. Um, the Grinch. In yeah. Kisses, we had him as Ace Ventura, and in Dumb and Dumber, um, and Bruce Almighty. And Bruce Almighty. God, <laughs> the MTV movies. His villain run was a much better than his. Kiss yeah. Run, yeah. Exactly. It's somehow not surprising. Uh, no offense to Jim Carrey, he's not my guy, um, but he's not bad in this. I enjoyed the t-rex arms uh i feel like that was a big trailer shot when he i don't remember why he does t-rex arms when he's hanging out with his theater friends yeah it's while they're like preparing the putanesca yeah Yeah. (laughs) but he does the t-rex arms and i'm like oh yeah i remember this this is good nailing it uh i i do like i agree with you ben that yeah the 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 when he gets to do the the different characters uh yeah i would yeah i wish he got to do his um his like sailor persona for the same amount of time he got to do like his sort of like dweeby snake guy persona because like i i i I, like quite enjoyed those parts i think jim carrey like i think he's he's doing like a pretty funny voice that isn't just his regular funny voice um and that's much appreciated yeah i'll say the bit where like after they escape the escape the collapsing house and then you hear him in a saw screen and he's just doing like the sailor voice was like it's me captain sham your new guardian like however he says guardian and it's so funny it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like gordian or something like that just <laughs> yeah no this is definitely like i'm you know I, i'm definitely not as sick of jim carrey as i ought to be this far down i'm glad that you know He's not really doing anything. Like his his main Olaf is still very much like this is the Jim Carrey character, um, but I think like a combination of like the other outfits he has, and also like the the costume design of his like default um, Olaf is also like really good, and I think adds a lot. Um, I do really like like the world uh, that they like exist in is like really really it's it's just neat to look at. Um, I think it's helped just also by like very snappy editing too, um, yeah, yeah. Jim Carrey, I will say, uh, and I've said like many times on this podcast where like when it comes to his villain roles, I've often found that 
Actually, when it comes to many Jim Carrey roles, I think before I'm like, he kind of does the same thing a lot. And now having watched, I think, four different performances, I will say he is better than I remember at like kind of making different distinctions around them. Like, his candle off is goofy, but it's not like the same kind of goofy as like his Grinch or, yeah, yeah. or his... I think my original review for, like, Sonic the Hedgehog is, I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad Jim Carrey got to give his, like, Count Olaf performance again, but he's, he is doing something different as, like, Dr. Robotnik than, like, as this. <laughs> yeah, there there are more nuanced flavors to Jim Carrey than, than maybe we're giving him credit for. Yeah, and I think he does... Uh, again, it is... And having seen the other adaption, I'll say... I do think Neil Patrick Harris is better, though he, it's also like a different, it's a more extended version of the material that gives him more notes to play and like kind of cuts down the, I mean, well, there's still the silliness bits, but a really fun thing that a Netflix show does, and I was, I, I forgot, I was going to make you watch one of these, Ben, but like, is it kind of, to get, get that flavor where the books are always trying to tell you not to read them or how this movie is like, hmm, maybe you'd be better off seeing the happy little elf. <laughs> so then i don't know how i feel when it tries to make it to a point where they're like there's some people who don't want to face the hard truths who like want to just escape with their happy little elves which is maybe a bit more dismissive than like the books go for when they do that kind of thing but like neil patrick harris's count Olaf does essentially get to do the theme song for the show which again is just it, it's called look away and it's just about how like terrible everything's gonna be and you should not watch this like it's <laughs> So that's kind of like their silliness, but yeah, I do think Carrie is really good. His his designs iconic. Um, uh, yeah, I, his hench people get kind of underserved. Like, but I, I think like there, it's a fun group to kind of just play off him. Um, yeah. yeah. Also, also one of the reasons like this converts better is books is you can't is you can't really like establish like on text that like. His hench people don't really have names. It's like the hook-handed man, bald-headed man, like white, white-faced woman, and then now I believe it's just become. Per this one says person of indeterminate gender. In the Netflix show, it just is like a non-binary person who is, yeah, who is like his, yeah, who's like Olaf's hench person there. But, but then if they had made more movies, because one of the best jokes in the entire book is eventually you meet like. Olaf's bosses essentially like the people he's scared of and they are named one is the man with a beard and no hair and the woman with a hair but no beard <laughs> and that's just their names and that's really good <laughs> yeah and like and like when you read it as a kid you're like wow they must be freaky and then like when you read them as like an adult you're like wait this is just like normal people descriptions <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh man but again yeah that's just like another example of like this this is designed to be read you know the mm -hmm. the wordplay and the wordsmithing um it's uh it's a book for for book people yeah so i did appreciate them casting louise guzman as like the bald-headed man it's a bit against type than like what someone might expect just reading the book um Mm -hmm. but yeah i was glad i was glad to i'm pretty sure i had seen it before um but if i had it was just one time and a long time ago so i was glad i got a chance to see it again it was it was definitely fun 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I was I was a bit worried that um this was kind of going to be like the stinker of the punch. Uh, but no, I was I was pleasantly surprised that this is like a very very fun one. Um, jury's still out on the PS2 game, um, but as a movie, it's it's pretty damn good. Yeah, this movie's good. It's you kind of have to accept it as sort of its own thing, which it's going to provide more closure than the books. As much as I'm like, ah, why do they have to read like a letter <laughs> from their parents? But also the letter payoff i had forgotten about and i'm like oh this is kind of like a nice way to end it <laughs> yeah but yeah but these books are like very much skeptical of systems and the courts to the point where like the aforementioned man with a beard and no hair and women with woman with hair with no beard are like eventually revealed to be judges on the high court along with like justice strauss who just assumed they were her friends the whole time so like yeah that's some good that's some good social commentary yeah and there's a there's a whole thing in the 12th book where like olaf is finally going to go on trial but then the boldeliers also kind of have to be on trial for a thing but they find out that because the judges are trying to hide their identity so they're like they have a very literal interpretation of the law. Justice is blind, so everyone has to wear blindfolds <laughs> to not distract from the proceedings. And then Sonny the Baby, who's like gibberish always, like in the book, said some more things. It's like, oh, Scalia! Like, it's <laughs> to the Supreme Court justice of the time. But... Yeah, do we want any more series of unfortunate events? Thoughts for... Uh, no, this was a... This is a very i i am really torn because uh, i'm like on one hand i it is like uh, it's a lot of content um that like i i but i like we kind of touched on earlier i don't know if you could make a whole movie out of the first book um and also like i feel like a lot of this like movies like a lot of what i liked about it was like how like quickly and how like snappy it was whether it was just like sometimes it like uh kind of near the end when it was like cutting really fast between like you know like and then count olaf was like sentenced to go through all the hardships that he put the kids through and they have like the him like with the train and like on like the on the falling apart building um the building was also another thing that like definitely really scared me as a kid of like uh like a house on a house on a cliff that's like falling apart yeah that's Oh, yeah, no, like, the set design on that stuff is incredible. But was it scarier than Realtors? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I definitely, I definitely, on this rewatch, I definitely, um, I don't know if I was looking at my phone or I wasn't paying attention, that, like, I missed that, I missed the setup for that joke of her, like, not liking Realtors, and then, like, when that came up, it was, like, I don't know, it was just twice as funny when they said that, and she just, like, they left immediately. Um, so, very, very, you know, a joke's good when you don't even need to set up. Yeah. Also, one last thing I want to point out is, because with the set design, and I remember, he was more involved with the Netflix show, but Barry Sonnenfeld, who directed, like, Adam's Family, was originally going to direct this film too, which you can kind of see in the set design, but ultimately he backed out because like basically over concerns that the budget wasn't going to be enough, which makes sense because he's very elaborate with his set design. And a lot of Barry Sonnenfeld projects are like, and then he had to leave because his vision was just too expensive. Oh, that's unfortunate. Wow. 
I would have loved to see that version. Yeah. I think, like, he he was more involved with the TV series, where he might have directed some stuff for that. Like, it's... Uh, But with that, I think we can move on to Collateral. Yeah. I, yeah, I really like Collateral. Um, I, I think it's funny that, um, Jamie Foxx is Max in both this and in, uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Um, and he's also playing, like, kind of like a, a, a slightly kind of by-the-books guy who's down on his luck. Um. A dweeb, you might say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, no, I, I, this is another movie that I had actually seen pre previously. I think I watched it with my friend Ian, um, and I think also my friend Ryan was there. We kind of threw it on because every once in a while we'll just throw on just a a movie that's that's uh like critically acclaimed to see if to see what all the hype is about. And I ended up super enjoying this one then, and I super enjoyed it again on this rewatch. Yeah. Um... No, this this movie rules. Um, it's directed by Michael Mann, who did like Heat and Last of the Mohicans and a bunch of a bunch of movies. And this might be my favorite of his. Um, had you yeah you've seen this one before, right, Mags? Or have I have. Yeah, I I really like a lot of Michael Mann movies. I had seen this before and really liked it. I really liked it again on rewatch. Uh. Such a fun movie, definitely of this bunch, felt like one of these things is not like the other, just because it's not necessarily the same kind of movie, it doesn't seem like it's like directed at the same audience as the rest of this lineup is, um, but that's fine. Uh, collateral, it's a great movie, it's just a wild time. Yeah, it. This is a funny group for like this film to be part of because it's not really like a a classic like blockbuster or aimed at like a teen audience. It is very much like an a like an adult thriller with yeah. Also a very a pretty rare villain turn for Tom Cruise, which is always fun to see him like play against type. Like it's one. It's one of the only times that he is playing. A villain? Is that, like, I'm trying to think of other examples. Because he mostly likes to be the good guy. Yeah, at least not. I don't think we're going to cover uh, very many Tom Cruise uh, villains. I think But we... he's so good yeah. as the villain here. Yeah, we, we, weirdly enough, we have, in one of the very few rare instances, we did cover him earlier in the interview with, a, with the vampire. Um, yeah, that is the other one where he's kind of the villain. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen that. I should. Yeah, even when he's a villain, I feel like there's like a level of like, he's not like a cartoonish villain. He's like, there's always a level of like, not necessarily moral grayness, but like, he's he's not like Doctor Evil, um, or like a or like Two Face, <laughs> like. Yeah, he doesn't have four robot arms coming out. Exactly. Of him. Oh, could you imagine how much more collateral damage he could have done if he just had four big robotic arms? Also, he arguably would not need, have needed someone to drive him around. Yeah, he could just kind of <laughs> he, he could claw walk everywhere. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I I think I think um, that's one of those, I think my only gripe with this movie, and it might not, it's not even really like a gripe, and it's totally possible that I missed something. It's just that um, his like philosophy is like really stupid, um, or at least like the couple times where he's like, "It's like, oh, there's 
people dying all over the world so like why do you care if i shoot someone directly in front of you um it's just like it's just a very it's a very silly outlook um but i guess i guess this movie's less about like that and more about just like it's just supposed to be this like very very tense fun ride um yeah uh, i also i also like this in training day i really do like uh really like tight time constraint movies that all like take place in like in like one night or like with phone booth and like one afternoon i don't know this is, i don't know what it is mm-hmm. but like there's something about that at least the ones that we've gotten to watch recently that I, i've just really enjoyed about that structure yeah that's all i love an all-in-one night uh movie it is it's fun it's just it's just a fun time um and i think ben to your to your point about uh um tom cruise's like philosophy in this movie it's I, i think that's part of why his character is so entrancing it's like does he really believe that or is he just trying to get max to do uh what he wants him to do mm-hmm. in that moment uh is he just is he just having fun like a cat and mouse game trying to play with his head and challenge uh his perceptions about the world like it's you know you don't really know um you know anything that's coming out of his mouth at any given moment like what's real and what's what's yeah, not exactly yeah that's why I like, he's so I, manipulative yeah exactly i even put like a little addendum next to that note that like it's totally possible that i'm just missing something or like and it's like it's not even like a bad thing it's just like that might even be what they're totally going for is that maybe his like his philosophy like is supposed to be like kind of like wrong or, or a bit silly because like he's like clearly like he's not the good guy this isn't the good guy this is the villain list um and it may like it may sort of contrast with um because like i guess his worldview sort of contrast contrasts more with uh jamie fox's character max of like like vincent's like very much like uh like kind of like he gets his own he gets his job done whereas like max is more like he's gonna like slowly build up everything like he's gonna be very he's very like clean like his, his cab's like the cleanest and he wants to just get everything like the legit way and like mm-hmm. you like kind of and like you don't you don't get a lot of like uh of like max's um you don't get to like see a lot of him without tom cruise in this movie you get like a couple like i think like 10 or 20 minutes at the beginning um maybe even just 10 uh to kind of figure out that like kind of like how his his like um uh his sort of like abrasiveness but i think you sort of learn through his interactions with tom cruise that he's probably not someone who like likes the confrontation very much. And I guess you also get a little bit more of that information with the interaction with the mom, which is like one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah. Um, just going to like Tom Cruise's philosophy. I'll agree that it is definitely like a bit kind of silly and basic, but it is, I think based on a real thing, like uh, when he brings up the idea of Rwanda, like, kind of that kind of genocide the idea that when it we as like human beings like we can't comprehend that kind of mass death so it's easier for us to just go well this is like tragic like what can we do whereas opposed to this thing where it's like yeah i'm just going around like murdering people you don't know the guy in the trunk where like i think that guy goes to this thing where it's like well if you didn't do anything for like 
all the suffering in the world? Why are you doing anything for this one person? Where it's like, you know, it's very much like high school nihilist type yeah. thing, but you can, <laughs> yeah. can kind of see like some level of like logic for it if you're just like a, a hitman who like wants to say whatever so he can get driven to the next location. <laughs> Yeah, what do they say? One death is a tragedy and a hundred deaths is a statistic? Statistic, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I think, I, and that, like, I, it's definitely, like, very intentional, too. Like, it's very much, like, it's very much Tom Cruise's, like, character. I don't think he's, he's not supposed to be, like, this, like, this, like, you know, like, uh, the character that's, like, it's supposed to be, like, morally correct about, like, everything. Um, and also, like, a lot of this movie is, like, it's um a lot of this movie it i would say like this movie it's like half and half probably leaning more towards the action and like conversations between characters um i maybe i wonder maybe if they shifted the the ratio a bit more whether i'd have different feelings because maybe the vincent's could have had like more time to sort of like talk it out um but this movie is like it's very like there's always there's always like something that like very that is like keeping the keeping the gas on like going moving forward whether it's like moving on to the next target or they need to like get the list again because Jamie Foxx like threw the the files over the bridge and stuff like that yeah it's definitely like it's a movie that's going to keep you moving it's very economical um both like, I had seen this movie before, but I always forget how it ties back to, like, Jada Pinkett Smith at the end. Like, I'm like, yeah. mm, I know you come back, because you're pretty, like, high build, <laughs> but how, and then, like, uh, and then it's all, always, like, you know, it's always a good moment where all of a sudden he realizes that, like, she's kind of the last target, and that's why he was even in the area when, like, he had taken her to, like, his, yeah, to her, her work, and that comes together like really nicely and the yeah and the kind of the misdirect with oh is she gonna be in her office but she's like in the library is like all yeah. just yeah that seems really it's good. A, the pacing of the movie is um is so interesting because it's it's really like high octane for a lot of it and there are all these murders and these big club scenes that's just you gets your heart racing but then there are all these points in the movie where it allows um it to slow down and it's just the two of them in the cab and they're talking um and they're figuring stuff out and it kind of lets you um sort of reset and then there's just a coyote that crosses the road you know <laughs> and uh and then it builds back up again and so they they definitely could have chosen to make the movie just all chase scenes and car crashes and shootouts bang 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 the whole time but um but it it really uh takes its time to breathe uh, every now and then which uh i really like yeah um tom cruise he's the guy that like he does his own stunts right that's kind of like it's like one of his things right yeah yes. there's i, I want to like uh draw attention to it because there's a, a really good it's a small thing, but I really liked it um, during one of like the final chase scenes where he like he like throws a chair through glass window and then like he, he's running so fast that he ends up just tripping over it immediately. Um, it's just I that is it's just such a small detail, but adds to like it makes like the chase scene feel so much more like um, like intense and just like so like like manic. 
um, that I really liked. I just had to take, I wanted, I took that as a note. So I would, I think I owe past me the, the respect of mentioning it. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's a, it's a, like, it's another thing that like Tom Cruise, like doing his own stuff like that, that probably hurt a lot. Um, <laughs> and to like throw a chair and then it runs so fast that you trip over it immediately and then get up and like, keep going like right after. Um, yeah, like it's like, it's uh something that's like kind of stood true and like i feel like one day we're gonna get a contradiction or maybe we already have and we didn't notice but like whenever the the villain is like one of if one of if not the like main character of like any of the movies that we we uh we get it's always a really good job um like or at least like we have a really good time with it i think the one maybe one exception is possibly um Kenny, your feelings on like the the Grinch because he's kind of the main character, but that <laughs> that might come down more to its Seuss adaptation than its. Uh... I also feel yeah. the Grinch is not the villain. Of Ex- that yeah, Grinch. exactly. <laughs> but, but I, I feel like really good actors like love the opportunity to play a really good villain like this is. Like this is such a like an interesting role. There's like so much weird stuff happening here i feel like both i mean both of these characters but especially like like what is this guy doing like it's what a crazy thing to do to be like uh yeah you're gonna drive me around and i'm gonna murder people all night um crazy yeah and it's interesting because tom cruise as we said he does not play a lot of villains but he has such a natural intensity where you're like, oh, wow. Mm. If he had wanted, he could have just been like the go-to villain guy for years. Like just. Oh, yeah. I'm almost mad that we didn't get that. Uh, that would have been great yeah. for us as a society. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. Ben, I don't know if you know, but Adam Sandler was originally supposed to play the role of Max. <laughs> oh, wow. That would have been strange. I could see it. I could definitely see it. It's a um, different movie. I it think. would be a much different. Like I don't know if I could take it as seriously, unfortunately. <laughs> um, well, uh, maybe it depends. If it came out now with like after like uncut gems, something like that, I feel like I could probably take it a little more seriously. But like if it came out like two thousand four, two thousand five, I don't know if like seeing Adam Sandler in these situations, I would be able to. It would have had the same impact. You'd be like, why is Mr. Deeds driving a cab? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, and like, yeah, Jamie Foxx also giving like a really good performance. And like him and him and Cruz just play off each other really well in this movie. Um, I, I really. I, so, so much of the movie is 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 like his Jamie Foxx's transformation from like, you know, this kind of mousy guy and and then he has to start making decisions uh and like taking control of his own of of what of the situation that's happening to him yeah and he kind of becomes an action star by the end of the movie yeah exactly like um yeah two two scenes that i really like are like when he crashes the car like that's a really really good scene um i also like the one where like he's like tied up and like Tom Cruise is like sort of like uh like being his like lawyer like talking to like his boss like that's just a nice a nice that's like one of those like there's one of those like sort of more calm moments that you were talking about that like sort of in between the action that 
bring a little bit of brevity. Yeah. It's... The train sequence at the end is just my favorite. Oh, um, yeah, that's such a... What a good way to end it. Yeah, and kind of the callback to the a man dies on, like, the, you know, train, does anyone notice? Just... Oh, you're like, oh, of course, of course, this is, like, what that was, like, setting up. Like, it's really... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, of course, oh, yeah. people notice that they had a big oh, firefight on the train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. And a, a rare spotlight of public transportation in L.A. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But, yeah, no one's stuck on, like, the freeway. Or... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, also another one more one more really good scene i like is like uh during like one of near the end when like uh jamie fox is like pull it pulls a pulls like a gun on him and he goes like oh what are you gonna do and he just what are you gonna do with that and he immediately shoots him like without hesitation <laughs> i think it's like it's a nice little like um it's it is a nice little it's a uh, not like a direct like there's not like a, a parallel scene earlier but it's like it's a nice like kind of indication of like uh Jamie Foxx's character's like growth and like initiative and like just like he's he's no longer like the timid guy from the beginning. Yeah, the relationship between them is really good. Like that that thing that thing too when when they get into the big when they get into the big argument before yeah, before he like crashes the car like he's just re yeah. Just like a really good good thing where you're like, oh wow, it's like Tom Cruise, like, as much as he's kind of messing with this guy, he's also like been paying attention and like he's, you know, got what, you know, like when he's calling him out, like you're like, oh, he's not really wrong. I mean, besides the fact that he's going around trying to kill a bunch of people. like, it's... <laughs> Yeah, like despite, despite uh, like Vincent like being like a, a big murderer, like he does teach, uh, max a lot um yeah it's uh this yeah, it's just a it's a sweet little movie um yeah uh, i just want to watch it again yeah exactly <laughs> um, yeah do we have any any final thoughts about uh collateral and or uh vincent's care vincent um it's funny that Jason Statham is in this for like five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> and also, so funny. Yeah. I forget every time. Mark Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo yeah, Mark has Ruffalo. like he's like the third lead. Um, also, no, it's, it's, future it's... major best villain like H- Javier Bardem is in this for, oh. for a bit. Like, hmm. Yeah, which we'll get into when we get to No Country for Old Men, which I like watched last night. I'm like, oh right, which. A character oh, yeah. who I think is not dissimilar from Tom Cruise in terms of like philosophy and how he chooses to justify his actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's and another movie that Ian showed me, uh, No Country for. I think that's like I think that's one of his favorite <laughs> movies is No Country for Old Men. Yes, um, that is a lot of people's like. Uh, favorite <laughs> it's, movie. it's a it's a damn good movie. It's uh, very 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 good. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what else is very 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 good mean girls oh yeah yeah oh man i i forgot how good this movie was it's been so long since i've seen it it's just it is such a it's so funny uh all the characters are really well like not mo- i would say like if you were to graph uh how 
interesting and funny characters versus like their screen time you'd have a really a really good looking graph um i really like like i like all the supporting cast i love the main cast um i i didn't get through all of it but i did listen to a couple songs from the mean girls musical um and i it's I would have to say that, like, I think I like the Heather's musical a little more, but I definitely like the Mean Girls movie more than the Heather's movie. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I, like, I'm a f- big fan of the Mean Girls musical. I'm gonna, like, probably mention it at some point, but, uh, Max, you have an interesting relationship with this movie that I kind of alluded to in your introduction, if you want to speak on that for a bit. Just... Uh, yeah, this movie came out... I want to say this, it might have come out the spring or summer uh, of my seventh grade year. Um, and it was uh, huge news because it was based on my hometown uh, or set in my hometown. Um, so everybody knew about this movie. Everybody was talking about this movie. Um, all of my friends went to see it uh, and were like, well, this is what high school is going to be like. <laughs> Um, cause it is set, um, in Evanston, Illinois, uh, Katie's parents get, um, professorships at Northwestern University and, uh, she goes to what I think in the movie is called North Shore High School, which is, uh, a stand in for, uh, Evanston Township High School or basically just a, an amalgam of, um, you know, the North Shore is uh, a name for the area of suburbs around uh, the area north of Chicago, where I grew up, uh, which is very affluent and uh, mostly terrible <laughs> um, place um, full of um, people very much like the people in Mean Girls. So um, they go to the Old Orchard Mall, which was the mall we went to. Um and uh yeah, we were all like, Well, this is this is what high school's gonna be like. And then we got to high school and we were like, Yep, this is like Mean Girls. <laughs> um so but yeah, no one in Mean Girls movie. was directly based on all the time. You. <laughs> uh if <laughs> uh if I had to pick no <laughs> I plead the fifth. But um yeah, we we watched this movie um, pretty religiously, along with uh, Dodgeball and Anchorman and Drumline. So, uh, and I'm happy to say, unlike Dodgeball, uh, this one does hold up. Wow. So you mentioned Drumline, another movie yeah. we've had to cover before. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, like, yeah, all those, all the iconic, you know, the iconic mid-2000s classic, you know, Anchorman, Dodgeball, Drumline, oh. Mean Girls. <laughs> okay, well, I was in, I was in marching bands, so no, Drumline was kind of a big deal. I, I think, yes. I, yeah, I probably like Drumline a little more than Dodgeball, probably. Um, <laughs> just because I feel like it's, I feel like it hits on those sports movie uh, tropes a little a little better than the Touchball movie. Um, yeah, so this movie, I remember I did not see it when it came out. I think I was just like, uh, eh. yeah, you know, I was kind of at that age where like, you know, I'm a 
like middle junior high middle school boy where i'm like eh, do I do? mean girls i don't know and then it was like in the <laughs> culture for years and i was like hmm, maybe i should have seen seen that and then then i also got really into tina fey through 30 rock um wait yeah so eventually i like saw this on tv um maybe even i feel it was 2012 because it was like pretty shortly before uh like i had went to like the summer camp where ben and i would eventually meet so yeah so maybe it's been 10 years since like i walked watched this movie for the first time and was what like oh wow no this is really funny and really good and yeah i don't think mark waters has made anything as good since um like, yeah but did you like i mean this movie is so quotable and so memeable like were you just seeing people yeah. yell at you i was it's october 3rd aware and- of on tuesdays we wear pink and stop trying to make fetch mm-hmm. happen um I don't know, I don't know if, like, someone in my life had said, you go, Glenn Coco, um, or maybe there's stuff I miss. I know eventually after I saw it, there was only a couple years where the one I always went to was, she doesn't even go here, which is she doesn't still even one of the go funniest here. bits in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it is just, there are so many, I mean, like, the 400th and 500th funniest lines in this movie are still so quotable like my father the inventor of the toaster strudel is going to hear about this yeah it's it's just there's so many things yeah it's a really funny movie and like even the jokes that haven't really aged well are still kind of funny funny like tina fey hearing africa and immediately like i trying to like be like a black yeah black student there is like as much as you're like oh yeah i see why they cut this out of the musical version which cut out a couple like essentially all the like africa bits and then also the like stuff about the coach having like an affair and then just some other lines it is something that always just makes me laugh because tina fey like it's funny that she wrote this movie and she was willing to give herself this part where like immediately she's like falling on her face like yeah like that's the kind of that's the kind of joke that i like there's you know it's 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 you know there's a reason that the that the joke exists you know and and like we are interrogating our own biases about uh if a student moved here from africa what would that student what would you as a you know white suburban lady think that that student might look like and why um so i think that joke's still pretty funny uh the yeah the jokes that that i rolled my eyes at this time around were the uh uh some of the ones about you know oh like the um you know lesbian athletes and uh you know the cool asian nerds versus the hot asian nerds you know uh some some of that kind of um uh stereotype jokes but on the other hand i was like ah, i don't know like that's kind of how we all talked to each other in high school but does that mean that it's worth making jokes about it in the movie yeah. um yeah and that's yeah. like the musical makes a few choices i think you know, or smart smart and one of them is like it 
when it gets to the point where they're introducing the cliques, it does essentially cut out all of the, like, racially-based ones, which, yeah, that yeah. makes sense for, like, a music. Yeah. Like, kind of the musical right. you're making, like, 15 years after the fact, where you're like, what can we adjust We don't have to perpetuate to? this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, but, uh, we, like, we did have a, uh, we called it the commons. It was next to the cafeteria. There was also just a big room with tables in it. So I don't know why it was separate. Uh, but I remember having an older student tell me, it's like, okay, well, this table is where the theater kids sit. And this table is where the kids who are on the literary magazine sit. And this table is where the athletes sit. And like, it was straight out of Mean Girls. And everybody sat at those specific tables every day. <laughs> yeah, and like my high school, like, especially as I'm like, oh, it wasn't as obviously like clicky as being like a Canadian school. Even still, like, pe- people. You don't have clicks in was, Canada? Yeah, and yeah, my school and yeah, my school in Canada. And there was a point where I think in grade 12, I was just saying a science one, and someone's like, wow. Yeah, like, I just had a couple of friends, and it's like, so yeah, like, we're all kind of just in different circles, like, I'm a jock, like, well, uh, like, the guy saying this was, like, a jock, the number, I was, like, the, dr- I was the drama kid, and then the third guy was, like, just kind of a skater dude, like, and I'm like, oh, I guess I wouldn't have thought about it like that, but yeah, that is true, just, um, my one year is, like, a full-on drama kid, where I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Ben, did you were you in a click? Were you in a click in high school? You uh, on the football team. Yeah, I and I didn't really hang out with them. I hang out more with the drama kids. This is those who were I, who were my like my friends were. I like the people on the football team. It's just that like I think outside of that, uh, we didn't super hang out. Or they were also like uh, like Troy Bolton. They were also on the on the, in the drama class. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we definitely had. It was weird because like. There definitely like, were like clicks, but like it, there really there was like it was kind of just like, it was just two, it was essentially like drama kids and then like welding kids, that would and like they didn't dislike each other like but like that's just kind of how it happened. Those were like the two biggest welding kids. That was your other click. <laughs> that was the other. That was that was like how we because like. Essentially, like that was the only way that like that we were like segregated at all, because um, like everything else was sort of just intermingled. Like everyone in drama also like played a sport, um, and if you played one sport, you also played like a couple other sports. So like there wasn't any like divisions there. Um, yeah, the only big divisions. Even our drama kids had cliques within being drama kids. Like, there were the tech drama kids, and then there were the cool drama kids, and then there were the not-as-cool drama kids. I think the only clicks in the drama were my friend Matthew, and then everyone else who liked Hamilton when it came out. That was the only divisions they saw. He he just didn't like it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he was really... He, just, he didn't... I don't know. He also, like, can't sing. Like, he's very much like a... He does, like, one acts, and he does, like, the big performances, but, like, he's... Just, He's not a big singer, uh, at least not. Maybe he is now. Maybe he's picked that up as a skill, but that was also probably a contributing factor to why he didn't like it. 
I always forget I you mean, were still in high school when Hamilton first came out. <laughs> I was just, I was just getting out. <laughs> uh, yeah, but this is a really funny film. I, I think this is the first time I was really aware of Tim Meadows, who is just so funny as the principal. Like when you say even like the five hundred funniest line, line, like think up there, like his delivery of. <laughs> I did not leave the south side for this. Like, he's trying, <laughs> yeah. has, having to break up yes. the big fight. Like, it's, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's one of those yeah, guys that that's was... in so much stuff. And I was trying, I was like, in my head, I'm like, what do I, man, I know this guy. I know Tim Meadows, but like, what is like the main thing that I know him from somewhat recently? And it was, <laughs> it was, I think I figured it out. It was definitely pop star Never Stop, Never Stopping. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's, he's so funny in that. He's funny in like everything he does. He's just a very like he's just a very funny guy. He's he's one of those one of those kinds of actors. Yeah, he's also on a pretty like pit, like a very big early episode of The Office where literally he's just there as like a client, but then the idea is like he and Steve Carell get along a lot, and it he he really just makes a meal out of like this bit part of oh he's just like a. Guy who's happy to sing the baby back rib song at a Chili's. Like it's... <laughs> uh, what, one of the things that I, you know, love about this movie so much is that it, um, it just like goes a little bit more comp- complex than it has to be for, you know, a, a sort of teen comedy. Uh, it adds in sort of more social commentary about the parents and you get Amy Poehler's character who is trying to be the cool mom and, uh, you know, she serves them the mocktails and just, well, you know, uh, cause if you, if you want to drink, I'd rather you do it in the house. Uh, that was like also kind of a, a line we'd always quote because like we all knew which of the cool kids' parents, like would throw them parties because they were like, well, you know, if they're going to drink, I'd rather they do it in the house so that they're not like out driving or, you know, sneaking. I'd rather they not be sneaking around doing it, like became kind of like a thing when I was in high school, not with me and my parents, but like there was like a bit of like a weird movement of parents who were like, well, you know, why don't we just, you know, they can just drink in the house as long yeah. as we're here and supervising. A, a, after this <laughs> like, movie came out, there was a noticeable, noticeable uptick in in cool moms. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's another quote I feel I heard from this movie a lot. Like, I'm not just a regular mom. I'm the cool mom. <laughs> I'm a cool mom. Uh, there was just like all these like you know it, it could have it could have been just you know a relatively simple story about you know somebody getting you know burned by the popular kids but they're like you have some pretty um meaningful social dynamics and you know you get into you know all you know all these um just the whole high school girl dynamic and i don't want to i think you know the only thing that you know it maybe leaves out is you know, it's the hyper focus on it's called Mean Girls, and it ultimately, you know, is only focused on uh, on girl relationships. And obviously, you know, now I think we would be more inclusive of 
uh, all gender expressions and boys are also having a tough time with their relationships in high school and uh, you know people of all gender expressions but um, there is um, at the time and you know to this day it looks a sort of special horror of being a high school girl and dealing with those um, uh, other high school girls <laughs> yeah and the musical is so like very focused on like the kind of girl relationships but I think also kind of expands more on what this movie kind of does a bit which is the way that society is constantly trying to pit like girls against each other like something like I had not even realized but it makes sense like the big decathlon at the end where it's like who's gonna do the final question and they're like oh we picked a girl and they're like okay well we picked a girl too like yes just, yeah yeah just a microcosm well, of in, and the, the the implicitness of the, the boys the all the boys on their teams both think that the girl is the worst at math uh for one um being part of the joke there which is kind of funny and also that's like well we're not gonna bother to even know the name of the girl on your team because we don't care <laughs> it's just the girl the token girl um yeah i also feel like another thing this movie does like pretty well that i think i give a lot of flack to um i'm pretty sure it's this movie the never been kissed um because, yes this like, is what i was gonna bring up too yeah it, that like the problem with never been kissed and it I'm actually shocked to figure out this that it came out before Mean Girls is that the problem with Never Been Kissed is that it kind of takes for granted the fact that you're already not supposed to like the popular girls and you're supposed to be rooting for like the nerdy girls because in Never Been Kissed the nerdy girls are so mean <laughs> and like aggressive <laughs> um but like and like not in like a self-aware hyper ahead of its time maybe like meta commentary of like cry bullying um but, like, in just a, like, oh, they're the science girls, so they're, like, they're the people you're rooting for. And, like, um, and like the mean, pretty popular girls are always evil, so they, they can get infinitely um, sassed on by the science girls. I feel like this movie uh, is really good about, like, making sure to establish that, like, these are pretty popular girls and they're really mean. <laughs> um, so, like, <laughs> yeah. when there's, like, the sort of, like, the uh there's sort of like the evil plan there's like a good enough justification for it that like yeah we can we can mess with um regina george you know whereas i feel like never been kissed kind of it it sort of ta- i i hope i'm not confusing it with a different movie a different like no, high school this is, movie. we talked it, about this on never been kisses i'm like i'm pretty sure like i am positive that janice ian was created in response to the character of like aldous in never been kissed who yeah is like serves a similar function as the first person to kind of reach out to like the drew barrymore character but then also when drew barrymore's character suddenly becomes popular she like cuts her off right away and then like is just very mean and then but and then wait have you ever seen ever been kissed mags (laughs) i have but it's been a long time yeah so kind of the thing that triggers... And I also have an inherent distrust of popular girls, so I probably wouldn't have butted up against this. Yeah, it's well, it's it's not even like the inherent distrust, but it's what Mean Girls understands, and part of the reason why I think this movie is so good, and how even though it's a film that was released like three years before smartphones kind of 
sort of impact yeah. team dynamics forever, why it's still timeless and is it gets that these dynamics are complicated and it understands that what Janice and Katie and Damien are doing is also mean. And like Katie doesn't right. realize this like until till the end, but like it is smart of giving Janice a moment where like she describes everything they did and you're like, yeah, no, that was like mean. They were they were doing mean actions against mean people, but right. they also were being mean themselves. Like it's yeah, and and the 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 sort of you start to get the background story of um, Janice and Regina were friends, and then the the falling out, and you know the rumors and the backstabbing, um, uh, which all just is so relatable and rings so true, and especially at that time of life from middle school um, into high school, I think so many people have a version of that story with some friendship um i i mean i remember when i was growing up i like didn't um have that many girlfriends because for like whatever weird gender dynamics there were not that many girls in my grade growing up there were only like six other girls in the whole class um and so most of my friends were boys and then it wasn't, and then all of a sudden in middle school, I like was forced to start making friends with, with girls. And I was like shocked. I like did not like being friends with boys was just like a totally different dynamic than being friends with girls. I like had to like learn from scratch, like how to um, navigate girl friendships. And it was like, like I've, I like was always like stepping on toes and like oh this person said this to me but I wasn't supposed to say this to that person and you know that all these like kind of secrets and um you know the things like uh there's that iconic scene where uh Katie's is over at Regina's house for the first time and they're all like talking about their uh their flaws it's like oh you know my my pores are so big and I hate how, you know, how hairy my forearms are or whatever. And they're like looking at Katie and like, she's supposed to chime in and she has no idea what she's supposed to say. And she has really bad breath in the morning is what she comes up with. And those were like the kinds of things that I was like, I like didn't know how to have girl conversations. Um, and uh, I think that's the kind of thing that this movie gets like, so right about just like girl society is, crazy and has uh is very illogical um and is um it really like revealed that in very insightful ways i felt like and still holds up um obviously you know not to put gender expression but i'm like i'm like oh boy i'm glad we got like uh someone who actually went through the high school girl experience on the pod <laughs> podcast this week like it's because, you know, I think Ben and I can only say so much from our vantage point as, yeah, uh, boys with sisters. <laughs> Just... mm -hmm. uh, high school's hard for everybody. Um, I would not wish it on anyone. Um, but, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I hope we could all we could all just skip right right through to unemployment yeah but uh yeah i think the the, the neat thing this movie teaches you is that like the best way to the best way to survive high school is just to find like a really nice like tight circle of friends um and like and like just trying to like remember that like n- none of it super matters um and that's a, a something i kind of like about this this movie is that like um i always i always think i always forget that uh <laughs> that regina just gets hit by a truck or a car bus i always <laughs> it's a bus it's a bus yeah i always think that that's like an snl or like scary movie parody type bit that like happened in like something else but like no it like happens in this movie um it's so funny. And then the narration says, and that's how Regina George died. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's like a really good bit. Um, yeah. But then just like, like things just like move on from there. And like, it's, it's weird that like, they never, you never get like a direct, like, um, like making up uh, between like Regina um, and, uh, and uh, Katie uh you just sort of get the sort of like general thing which is like i think is like pretty accurate to like real life like you don't you don't really get to have like the after school special like talk with like a a bully or someone you have a conflict with sometimes just like it just kind of dies out and you move on yeah and i think that's accurate too and i think that's the right lesson that yeah. the movie should say is you you should apologize you should put things right. It's the right thing to do. But you're probably not going to get the cathartic uh, release from it. You're pr- the, the person is probably not going to forgive you and things are going to go back to normal. You're probably still going to feel pretty bad about it, but it's the right thing to do anyways. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember, like, do yeah, do Regina and, like, Katie really have a conversation after Regina's hit by the bus? Like- not from my recollection from I watched it yesterday. Um, I don't think so i think they just are on stage together and like uh katie Katie gives the speech on stage yeah and like gives her like a piece of Uh, the crown but like i don't think they actually have like a talk at all yeah because the musical definitely gives them more of a thing but then it also sort of tries tries to make it where regina george like you know it's not just that oh she's the meanest girl it's that you know she's like someone who's just really confident and maybe acting in a way that like yeah you know girls like are not supposed to where she's not afraid to just speak her mind and do what she wants so it tries to give it that but i do feel like it is effective that yeah she's hit by the bus and then there isn't like really interaction between them about that it's about like katie having to just kind of come back from being yeah from you know being the plastic that she's become I will say I had seen this movie about a hundred times um, before my mom finally watched it with me. And uh, when Janice Ian is introduced on screen, she, my mom like burst out laughing and she's like, it, Janice Ian. And I was like, yeah, what, what, why are you, why are you laughing? And um, I don't know if you guys knew, I didn't know after a hundred times watching this, but Janice Ian is the name of a, very famous 70s folk singer um 
and who Janus Ian the character was named after. Oh, I did not know that. It's a neat little Mean Girls fact. So it's a little tribute. So the character is a tribute to Janus Ian, who uh, later in life did come out as lesbian. Um, And uh, one of her, like, more famous songs is, like, about how hard it is to be a teenager and the popular girls, you know, making fun of you and not fitting in. Um, It's a really good song. Um, so, but my mom was like cracking up. She was like, you didn't know who Janice Ian was? I was like, no, but I do now. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> That's why it's important to show this movie to all your loved ones, or they might know a little tidbit or fact about it, and for no other reason. Totally. Um, I do like that, uh, I do like that this movie and the Heather's movie, um, kind of have like this have a similar bit going on with like the protagonist parents and that they're just like they're just like very disconnected from everything um and they just like they're very much like they're very much just kind of pop up and like say one or two things and then like leave um i do like the joke in this one about like about like you're grounded and then it's like oh they're not allowed to leave when they're grounded um that's a really really good bit yeah, the parents are great. They're very funny. Um, it's the uh, it's the janitor from Scrubs, isn't it? Is her dad? And uh, Catherine Hahn is her mom. Oh, yeah, I think so. Am I wrong on that? I'm pretty sure. Uh... I'm just gonna assume I'm right. Yeah, and I guess they are from SNL. <laughs> like do. definitely, she and Tina Fey like good friends. Amy Poehler too. Like that kind of generation. Yeah. And then her dad was Neil Flynn, who was the janitor on Scrubs, which I made Ben watch when we covered Garden State. <laughs> Just so I could get my Zach Braff lore. <laughs> <laughs> I also uh, just wanted an excuse to watch Scrubs. <laughs> no, I really liked Scrubs. Oh, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, do we have any... Oh, yeah, so Rachel McAdams is great in this. <laughs> Yes. Rachel McAdams crushes in this. Um, look, she's trying to lose three pounds. And uh, she just nails the like queen bee uh, you know, leader of the pack attitude. Um, you totally believe that she has all of these people under her thumb. Uh and I mean, she's so good in everything. Yeah, but it's she really nails. It's this part. super insane that this is the same year as the Notebook. Um, like, oh my gosh! Like that is just two totally <laughs> different characters. Like, <laughs> like, oh my god! Like that. Yeah, that is in really insane. Yeah. Um, and I, oh man, no, she is. We we have especially early on in the villains, we did get a lot of like a lot of like kind of like girl boss, uh like kind of like evil evil women. Uh which has died down a little bit with like the advent of a lot of we horror. Also, there movies. was also several years of no women at all. So. Yeah, exactly. So it's good to it's good to see them back. It's it's baffling that it's baffling that a lot of these but this one is probably one of the most baffling that it lost at dodgeball i guess knowing now more about um 
more about the the stranglehold that dodgeball had on the world um you know like people had dodgeball fever yeah it's you can dodge a wrench you could dodge a ball i don't know what to tell exactly. you exactly you know the 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 people making the nominee the people voting were like ah mean girls like who's gonna remember that movie in like two years um it's just a fad it's definitely not gonna become one of the most like iconic movies ever um yeah. <laughs> and it is a big deal that it became as iconic as it did because there aren't that many like female centric movies period about like the girl experience that break out like this one did especially that are like actually good yeah um so i mean that's another reason that you know i really love it as much as i do um but that's also probably another reason that i lost a dodgeball <laughs> Uh, which is a very uh, testosterone-y movie. Yeah. Um, I'll say McAdams, the line that like really stuck out where I'm like, oh, wow, this is, I think, just an all-time line delivery is right at the beginning where, you know, and it speaks back to like Katie not really knowing how to have those conversations where she's like, oh, you're you're really pretty. And then she's like, oh, thank you. She's like, oh, so you agree. You think you're really pretty. And there's just, it's such a loaded line, and she just uh-huh. casually tosses it off, and you're like, oh, wow. Like it's... Uh-huh. <laughs> and when she uh, when she compliments her bracelet, she's like, oh my god, I love your bracelet. And then like later, Katie realizes, she's like, oh, she didn't actually like my bracelet. It's like, you know, that, all that coded girl talk. Um, it is a minefield... And the, yeah, this movie really nails that kind of stuff. And um, as far as like the so the, like the the villainy goes, that kind of insidious villainy, the three way calls where you're, you know, catching the person uh, in the three way call, um, which is like a bit of a uh, you know, nobody's ever gonna be on a three way call ever again. <laughs> Um, and that was yeah. barely a thing then, but um, uh, we're in a three-way Discord then... call right now. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. true. My sister went to like a real-life version of that happened to her, where she was like invited <laughs> over to someone's house and was essentially asked to like talk shit, but then the other girls were like hiding in the room. Like, ooh, ooh a real-life three-way call. That's that's a classic sleepover situation. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh. See, girls, girls are mean. I, I don't know if you've heard about this, but girls are just really mean, and boys are mean too. But they're just mean to yeah. your face. Guys are nice. <laughs> girls were like, girls, girls were like, let you know you fester in something for years, and then I don't know, casually drop that, like you know. Uh, like I'm not going to air out my dirty laundry on your podcast, but you know, <laughs> yeah, and no, and like, uh, and something I've you know, because um, me and Kenny work at a summer camp, and like, I don't know, something that's kind of nice to see is that like, it's it's definitely no longer a gendered thing. Is that I'm definitely now seeing guys hold like weird like petty grudges too. <laughs> so like, it's it's something that you we're guys are getting we're, in touch with their emotional exactly. Side. <laughs> like we're it, we're coming together on this. Like it's it's becoming a human thing um you know maybe it always was and we weren't we weren't looking for it but yeah it's definitely <laughs> i it's definitely becoming a little more gender neutral which is nice i uh was a camp counselor for 
a few years for a day camp. Uh, and I mostly, most summers I uh, was a counselor for the like five-year-old boys, um, which were very easy. They were just very stupid. Uh, and it was just mostly sunscreening them at various intervals. And then my last summer of camp, I was a counselor for the fifth grade girls. They were like 10 and 11 years old. And uh, it was a nightmare because they were all so mean to each other. And every few days we had to have a whole come together session to learn how to be friends with each other again. And there was one week where one of the girls casually mentioned that she didn't really like Hannah Montana that much. And all the other girls decided that they were going to pretend that she didn't exist. Oh no. And it took us a while. (laughs) It took me and my co-counselor a while to figure out what was happening. Because it's not like the girls told us. They were just doing their own little insidious machinations and when we and this poor girl like she would try to say something and they would ignore her and when we finally figured it out oh my goodness the tears and then everyone was crying oh then and then and then me and my co-counselor were crying because it was bringing up you know our own past traumas uh so look, it starts early, you know. Exactly. Yeah. The big takeaway is that the thing. My summer camp times were always like really smooth, and then my sister definitely had to like switch cabins at least once due to like issues. Like. Yeah. The takeaway is that you know <gasps> girls can be quite mean, and Rachel Adams did a great job encapsulating that. Um, and we're sorry we didn't talk about Rachel McAdams as much in this 40 minute mean girl segment <laughs> look raise your hand if you have been personally prose- persecuted by Regina George uh, yeah oh man I don't yeah man speaking as, as as somebody who works with kids like that is that is something purely for the movies you'd never want to do that in real life <laughs> it's just like hey how many of this person bullied you? <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, I feel like, but they do also set up where like she's trying not to do it, and then Regina George like specifically like is, yeah. As much as I don't want to say, well, she was asking for it, but she does definitely kind of tee herself up for oh, that yeah. kind of like, okay, yeah. This movie, this movie definitely like it definitely earns. It's like, yeah, this this is like a mean popular girl that like deserves like at least a smidgen of comeuppance um like where where we kind of talked about a little bit and i had never been kissed that like when you don't do that it's very glaring and then a couple of guys on a podcast talk about it several weeks later yeah Yeah. well the thing i've never been kissed also is like drew barrymore tries specifically she reaches out she's like you shall be more like this girl the first one to talk to me the one who like doesn't care and we're like she she did um Oh yeah, this is another like T- Tina Fey thing I think I mentioned then, but there is a Thirty Rock episode where Tina Fey's character Liz Lemon has been invited to her high school reunion, and her memories she was like the bully nerd girl who was just 
coming up with the clever comebacks, like, under her breath and doing stuff. And then she gets there and finds out that she was actually the bully everyone was scared of. And, like, because she was making this really cutting remarks about their, like, personal situations. Because she thought she was just punching up. Yeah, that that is exactly how the yeah, the the character in uh, Never Been Kissed felt like. Where it felt very, like, proactive. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Really funny. Well, yeah. Do we have anything else we want to say about like Mean Girls? Um. Look, stop trying to make fetch happen. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. Uh, it is. It is a really. It's a dang good movie. That is like. Um. I like that it's a. I think my favorite thing about it is that like, it has. It ha- it's very it has some pretty cool novel stuff that i really like like the main character like being like an exchange student like from africa a girl getting hit by a bus like those are things that like you don't you wouldn't think would be in like a like high in like a high school like like drama comedy um slash romance slash everything else um and i think that it just it's just it's little things like that that just like make it just a little extra like spicy and nice you know that don't make it that so it doesn't feel like as generic yeah it's it's very incisive and then um yeah it it really is like it's a great movie and you know the the musical i mean not everyone likes the musical as much as i do but like i'll say the one thing it does structurally i like is it makes regina's downfall kind of the end of the first act and then it allows space and act two to explore katie's reign as like queen bee which is a little bit longer and that's something but this film i'll say the last thing as much as i bring up i'm like yeah it is it no longer like ages well to have like the joke that two girls are like sleeping with like the coach i'll say the setup to that bit where it's when they're trying to like get Aaron to catch regina cheating and the bit and the bit is like damien has disguised himself as a robber and stolen a purse it's just really funny it's like what was their plan for like how that situation would resolve like oh oh um, man yeah but now we only have one movie left to cover and it is spider-man 2 so this is gonna be our first three hour episode, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, we could just we could just zip right through this. Not that much to talk oh, about yeah. here, I don't know. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh Megs, yeah, in advance, you you did apologize. You're like, I feel bad because like <laughs> I know everyone loves this movie and I like it, but like not as much. I'm like, no, no, that's fine. Like it's <laughs> Oh yeah, like you can this this podcast is no stranger to like controversial opinions. Um <laughs> I feel like there are probably people out there, like guests out there, who would have been like, "Oh, I, 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 I wanted the Spider-Man two episodes that bad," and I was like, "I wanted the Mean Girls episode." <laughs> exactly. so. Listen, though, these two are fighting for the throne of this episode. Like, they're both so <laughs> damn good. Um, yeah, like I'm... I man, because we watched um, because of uh, shifting things around. I we actually I watched Spider-Man like the first one pretty recently um for our 2003 one um and like oh i really liked that one and oh my gosh did i love spider-man 2 um i i there's a there's like a common criticism about like the new tom holland one 
that I'm I'm being very uh, I'm simplifying it a lot, but the criticism kind of boils down to is that his life isn't miserable enough um, when he's Peter mm-hmm. Parker, <laughs> and like I I don't really I don't know if I agree with that. I kind of like the more like high school like he feels much younger in the Tom Holland one, um, but I totally get it because like this is one of the best if not the best spider-man movie and a huge part of that hinges on like his life being miserable for the first half and like them hammering that in over and over again and it makes for like such a compelling like cool spider-man movie and like i i i have not seen spider-man 2 in so long um and now i i actually like totally understand that criticism of like the new one where like you you kind of want to bring out that Spider-Man 2-ishness in like the new Spider-Man. Yeah. Um that is is like again I've definitely brought up my history with Spider-Man before where like he's like one of my favorite uh superheroes. I like grew, grew up with him and the thing that always made the Spider-Man like the juice that has become a key part of the character to the point where I would argue the comic character is starting to get, like, held back, because literally any time anyone tries to advance him a bit, eventually someone's like, but you gotta bring him back to square zero! He can't grow up or have, like, a real job, because he has to have, like, that Parker luck. But, at least in the early running, it is effective of a person who he can't... It's... He can't have it all. He can, like be Peter Parker and do pretty well and kind of pay the rent on time at, like, his crappy apartment. Or he can, like, be Spider-Man and, like, do a pretty good job and get, like, the admiration of the city and stop, like, the villains. But when he tries to do both, it's some... One part of that is going to suffer, at least. Like, it's... And that is something that I think this movie captures better than any other spider-man movie like the pizza time the pizza scene <laughs> at the beginning the... yeah oh, that pizza's ruined yeah no like it's yeah. just yeah the first like yeah half hour of this movie spider-man is barely in it it's just peter parker like just getting knocked down several times like he's failing class he's his rent is like overdue like Ever, his his the love of his life is getting married to someone else like it is just and he's to an astronaut yeah an astronaut yeah. <laughs> a, a jameson um <laughs> um oh also like a quick thing so uh i was originally going to watch the spider-man 2.1 um and then every article i saw about it says that it was way worse um it not only added okay i watched 2.1 and it was i don't know i don't know what all the hype is about that it being bad it's it's like come on everybody relax i have no problem with added scenes um i think the only thing i read is that like the editing on some scenes is like off and i was like okay i'm not i'm not gonna chance it um i want to like super enjoy this i haven't because like if i had seen like spider-man 2 like last year then i probably would be fine with it but like it is i could honestly say been at maybe even seven years since i've seen it i want to see like the theatrical release just in case um uh and then i just watched like the bonus scenes on youtube after 
like the <laughs> Jameson like wearing the Spider-Man suit and a bunch of goofy stuff like that. Um, but I, 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 I honestly, I feel like 2.1 probably wouldn't, it could, there's no way you can just through editing alone, make a movie like this, like substantially worse. Um, yeah, I just, I didn't want to ruin People the, love to yeah. hyperbolize. Yeah, in, exactly. On the internet. I it might, that might be shocking to you. I know. But. Yeah, exactly. I, when I heard they edited the Bruce Campbell scene to make it less funny, I knew I could never watch it. Um, I, I, these, oh man, I, I, after seeing, uh, I love his little cameos and all this on the Raimi movies. Like they're just so, they're always like so fun. The one and the one in this movie is particularly good. I'll say, yeah, I, I watched 2.1 when it came out. Like, I forget if I have really seen, but this, this film I did not see in theaters. I believe my first experience was... We watched it on VHS at my friend's, like, birthday party, and I might have fallen asleep a bit in the middle, because, you know, I was younger, and then eventually, like, I watched, I'm like, oh yeah, this is great, but I remember there was, like, a word where, like, some people were like, oh, it's kind of messy, there's a little, like, holes, and definitely, um, I, I think it was IGN, and I'm now just kind of looking up, and it's sort of affirming to me but someone at the time when 2.1 came out was like well this this like markedly improves it it does it does like a bit more to the birthday party scene it like it's fine but yeah two at this point i'm like oh yeah this is one of my favorite movies this is just like this is this is everything and i had not realized that 2.1 cuts down on like the bruce campbell stuff which is just so funny (laughs) Also, I think this film is, um, well, each Spider-Man movie has a different style of, like, sound- soundtrack and stuff, and the this, as, I'll say, one scene I, like, do, lo- do love as much as I love, like, the raindrops he falling on, his head, my head se- sequence in this, I also love that little montage, the song is called, like, Hold On by Jet, but it's, like, when he's, like, getting ready to go to the play, and it's where it has... Already, like, the image of him just at his closet, and he has his nice suit there, and his Spider-Man suit is also just hanging up. And, you know, it's one of those images where it's like, look, duality, like, what does he pick? And Yeah, I really like and... that scene. I also really like the, the credit scene. Um, What's the name of it? I, like, looked it up on Spotify immediately after. And like added vindicated yeah i really like that as well it's just like a it's such a mid-2000s credit thing it's lovely yeah i rewatched all the three opening of credits movies. are some of the are some of the like most beautiful and and fun opening credit scene where you, you know you get the these comic booky drawings um you know and i, I you know i really you get the you get the original Marvel logo, which I love. Before the MC, the late MCU kind of, you know, amped it up yeah. into this weird thing. So I yeah, always the love MCU. seeing the old MCU Marvel logo. Um, so that's fun. I don't really, I don't remember. I don't think I would have seen this in theaters, um, but I, you know, saw it at various points over the years. Um, Spider-Man was just never really my guy, and at this time in the mid two thousands, uh, I was just all about X Men, the X Men movies that 
were coming out, X-Men and X-Men 2 that were coming out around the time that Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 were coming out, were movies that I watched all the time and uh, were, you know, very invested in to the point that I, like, barely registered that Spider-Man was a thing. Um, And, uh, you know, when I read comic books, it was almost exclusively X-Men and Wolverine. Um, So I don't have that same attachment to Spider-Man the character or Spider-Man the movie. Um, But I do really enjoy this movie. I think it's very good, but I don't really have the same... um, sort of sentimental attachment to it from the time. Uh, and I do really like the Tom Holland um, version of the character as well. Um, I think those movies are really fun. And uh, they're some of my favorite MCU movies. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Holland, I think, is mostly fine. It's... He... Uh, I I think some people are a little like too critical of those like movies and just as crazy Spider-Man ones where though Homecoming is more I'll I'll say Homecoming I think does a really good job of trying to do a classic oh Spider-Man in high school story which it's a weird era for the character that it and I think I said this before it does not last that long in the comics, but everyone gets mm-hmm. obsessed with, well, he has to be in high school. Like, it's, no, he right. doesn't. Um, but. Yeah, like, Spider-Man mostly has a job, you know. Yeah. Uh, doesn't he? But, uh. Yeah. I would like the Holland yeah, films to kind of get back to, like, I think more grounded down on his luck stuff than, like, going, oh, now he's in Europe. And yeah. now he's, like, doing <laughs> multiversal things, but. Getting doxxed, uh, yeah. But also, like. <laughs> we already have some pretty great Spider-Man movies that have that more classic take on the character, and that includes this one, which is just the iconic Spider-Man story. Um, like for for me, just uh, so much I could say about this, and the only reason why, like, I wouldn't talk about this is I'm already aware that this episode is very long. <laughs> no, it's, it's things all like good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a piece of score like this is I don't listen to a lot of like movie soundtrack scores like I'll I'll, I'll do some if it really sticks out but the one thing I'll listen to consistently is there's a track from this movie called He's Back in which I can listen because I can listen to it and then essentially play the entire sequence in my head but it's where kind of towards the end of the second act, or at, at the beginning of the third act where like Mary Jane has been kidnapped and, like, Spider-Man has just disappeared and it's, like, Jameson in his office with, like, his assistant and he's like, oh, he's like, oh, it's my fault, I drove Spider-Man away, and then it's like, oh, he's the only one who goes up to Octavius. It's like, ah, yes. And then he, you know, gives his thing about, like, how he he was a hero, and then at that exact moment, Spider-Man, like, steals his suit that's just hanging on the wall back, and all of a sudden, like, yeah. and so, like, the score starts to, like, really contemplative, so you're like, okay, yeah, this is a speech, and all of a sudden, there's, like, a stop, and then it starts, like, building up again as he's, like, getting angrier and angrier, going up to his iconic, oh, he's like, I, I want that web sprint. Spinning dragon like hung up by his boots. I, you know, I want this and before. I want Spider Man, <laughs> and then just him swinging through like the paper, and 
uh, kind of all the way going up to, like, Doc Ock, who, like, you see him from, like, the reflection in Doc Ock's sunglasses, and then they start the big fight that's gonna wind up on, like, the train, and it, it, like, really, it's, it's everything I want in, like, a comic book movie where it's just grandiose and incredibly silly and just, just really nailing all, all kind of the, the triumph of, hey, Spider-Man, he's back in action, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. it it does it does the arc thing that that I love where um you know one of my favorite parts of the movie is is when he, he uh starts losing his powers. Uh and they don't really try to explain it away through, you know, oh there's uh kryptonite you know or he got too close to some reactor yeah, he, he got a, he got just, a web block he's <laughs> yeah he's, he's got the yips <laughs> you know and he doesn't want to do it anymore when you you know when you, he's depressed you know and um i i do really love that part of the movie and and he like go to the doctor and he's like mm. Like a dream that my friend was Spider Man and he's losing his powers. <laughs> what do you think he should do? Which is so silly and so uh, fun, but also kind of like melancholic. Like, there's nobody, he doesn't have anybody he could go to for help. He doesn't have like, he's not like friends with Superman. He could like call up Superman and be like, I mean, I know Superman's not Marvel, blah, 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 save your tweets. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it's it is just like, what do you do when you're Spider Man? You can't. You, you what do you do? You know. Yeah, and that was also part of the setup for the character where he was initially he's kind of like the loner of the MCU. Famously, one of his like first appearances is he attempts to join the Fantastic Four, and then he's like, yeah, he's like, so what's the starting salary? They're like we don't pay, we don't pay you for this. He's like, then I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> it's very quick. They're, they do a bit where, like, the Wasp in the Avengers is, like, mean to him because she's like, Wasps and Spiders are natural enemies. But she doesn't even have, like, Wasp powers really beyond that she gets to Wasp zombies. <laughs> like, it's... Uh-huh. It's the thing where, like, the classic comics, he often just has no one, and a lot of the issues just kind of end with him like walking walking away away with like the shadow of spider-man as he's like man it sucks that like flash thompson was mean to me again or that i had to waste all my money on like new web flu- fluid because in the comics like, <laughs> yeah. it's not organic like it's <laughs> are you guys pro organic web fluid yes or oh do you like when he makes it very himself? oh it's it's a i'm torn uh, because before, because I, I never watched the Amazing Spider-Mans when they came out. So my first introduction to like self-made ones was the Tom Holland one. And apparently like. You're I, like, what is he doing? You could just, you could just thwip. Yeah, apparently like <laughs> him making it is like, that's kind of like the norm, right? The organic stuff is more of a, that's not, not a, I'm assuming not like a, uh, a Sam Raimi invention, but definitely something that's like most spider-men make their fluid in like a lab wasn't wasn't it a sam raimi invention? is it i don't know if it's his idea it's i'm not trying to remember the other podcast that recently like covered this where i think it was like james cameron or someone who was like attached before who's like 
and then his webs are like organic. But oh, yeah. wait, before or or if it wasn't if it wasn't Sam Raimi, it was this Spider Man. The first Spider Man movie was the first time. Really, yes, Spider Man, the character. Really, yeah. um, in the eighties, when he gets his <laughs> Venom suit, that's one of the draws that it makes its own web. <laughs> that's that is yeah. Like, see, this uh, is what I this okay. is what I mean when I say that Tom Holland was my first. So, like, you gotta imagine me. I'm yeah. watching. Um, it might not even yeah. it might not even been Homecoming. It might have been Civil War. Um, where I'm like watching it, and like in my head, I'm like, there are three movies where it's organic, and like there's one movie where he makes it. So in my head, I'm like, wow, what a weird. What what a weird choice! Why <laughs> yeah. wouldn't you just have the obvious, you know, staple of Spider-Man using organic webs—the thing that's been around forever? Um, I <laughs> totally. yeah, it is. I I see the pros and cons to both. Um, I think every pro of it being made is like, it's like it adds like a new level of character. It sort of is a really good excuse to kind of show him being sciency. Um, and the only the only pros for it being organic is just that it's cool and I like it, um, and it's it's just kind of neat. And it also it's it it placed it's also used in this movie to great effect, um, like the fact that he like he gets like a web block and he can't use it anymore. Like that's a huge part of like of like his whole like uh, his whole like journey throughout this movie is like him losing his powers. Where if he just had like a little web shooter. Like that would never, you could never do something like that. I like the organic. I think it just is so much easier. It makes, and it, I think if I was, if I woke up one morning and uh, magically had powers where I was super strong and sticky and had no other powers, I wouldn't. And yeah. I'm not the first person to come up with this, but I'm like, I don't think I would assume that I had spider powers. Exactly. I don't know what powers. I don't know what I would. I don't know what I would think, but I don't know. I guess I would think I was like a sticky hand. Yeah, or I'm glue man. Like I'm like it's. <laughs> yeah. I'm strong and sticky guy. That's my thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is like, there another power set besides strength and oh, oh the spidey yeah. sense? But even that's like not. Yeah. It's kind of a stretch that that comes spider. from the proportional <laughs> yeah. strength of a spider. You have the spidey sense, which is like, you know, that's also like not a spider thing necessarily. Uh, you know, you just have like hyper awareness of your surroundings. I just, without the thwip, I don't know that I would make the leap to, oh, I'm a, I'm a spider man. I mean, he was also bit by a spider. Yeah, that too. But, okay, but did. <laughs> Sure. All right. yeah, he, he knew he was built his way. But yeah, I'll say web fluid is it can be fun in the comics if he's like in a really intense fight and then suddenly he's like, oh no, I'm out of webs. But also it when you're doing a movie, you don't have as much time for that, so it's like fine yeah. that he can just shoot it from it shoot it from his wrists and do that. I'll say in, in the comics, one of the funnier earlier comics things is there's an early issue where he's like, how do I make money? He's like, oh, I can probably just sell some of my Spider-Man inventions. So he's like showing off his like web fluid and it's like, look, and he's like lifting a safe and everyone's like, that's amazing. And then a few minutes later, it crashes out and dissolves and they're like, why did you do that? He's like, well, I can't have my enemies tied up forever. It has to dissolve. They're like, no, why would we buy that then? I'm like, just... <laughs> 
hearts. Imagine if New York City was just like constantly covered in webs, like all the time. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, got, well, it's got to dissolve I, sometime. This it doesn't. It just uh, this one doesn't dissolve. Huh. What the uh, like? Oh, sorry, go on. Public Works is going around sweeping up my webs. <laughs> He's a menace. Huh. Yeah. But what did we? Uh, another part of the reason this movie is so good, of course, is its villain. Yeah. Oh man. Oh. Um. Yeah. No, I. I really love um, Alfred's performance in this. I my one uh, gripe, um, and this is why I probably have him uh, a, probably a little bit lower than Gobby, um, is just because like I wish we had more with Doctor Octavius and like uh, less with Doctor Octopus, because um, like he's like he's just like a really charming character, and I love his interactions with um, with uh, with uh, with uh, Peter Parker, like, um, I just wish we got like more of those. But like, that's like a minor gripe in like an ocean of like this is like an incredibly fun, charming character that turns into like a really fun, like menacing villain with like one of like the coolest gimmicks out of all like super super villains. Like the eight mechanical arms are just like they're so cool. Like. In some in like a good chunk of the scenes, like they're real, like they're practical, which is insane. Um, yeah, that they built those the things. Um, Kenny sent me the video of um of Alfred doing like the fiddler on the roof with like the the little claws. Yes. That's that's so funny. Um, <laughs> yes, Megs and Ethan were both like, "You have to send this to Ben." <laughs> no, I, <laughs> right, yeah, I absolutely course. love that. Um, I really love uh, I love the line. And like I, I didn't, I didn't notice this. I had a TikTok point this out. Um, uh, I guess spoilers for No Way Home. Um, he like Doctor Octavius is in it, um, but there's like a little line, um, <laughs> like in this movie that's like, uh, it's it's I can't remember it exactly, but like I think uh, like Doctor Octavius says something like, "It's like I hear you're like I hear like you're failing or whatever." And he's like, "Like I'm." I'm trying to do better. And then like in No Way Home, like they have like a similar direction where he goes like I'm I'm doing better. And it's just really cute and it's, like little things like that. Um I really really liked that. And I like that I got to see the actual uh, non-TikTok cropped version of that scene in this movie. <laughs> um Yeah, it's just he's it's it's one of those um it's a little it's a little bit rehashy of like the previous movies villain where he's like he's essentially a guy who like like gets basically like becomes like evil and like has like um he's sort of like internally fighting with himself a bit there's a lot less like internal fighting in this movie like once he becomes dr octopus there's like very little um of scenes of him going like no i can't do this like he's very like driven to like get this thing done because he's, like, convinced himself that, like... Yeah, that's my one issue. And that's partly just because, like, that's how comic book villains work a lot of the time, is part of me is just like, oh, didn't we just do this already with the Green Goblin? That he's, like, a normal, regular scientist guy who was a mentor to Peter, and then a horrible accident happened, and now he's gone crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, just I do this. think 
it's it's a bit distinct in that this film tries to make it more to initially Otto is kind of presented as the man Peter kind of wants to be. He's like this genius. He's got the girl. He does like all all the kind of kind of things, and it's and I think he's a bit of a more tragic figure than Green Goblin, who is. Is once he switches to like Green Goblin mode, like he he is mostly in Green Goblin mode, even when he's back in like Norman, like oh, what am I doing? What have I done? Mode where <laughs> this one, I do think like this kind of moment at the end where he's finally able to kind of snap control away from like his arms and sort of just realizes what he's doing is like really powerful, which is why I do enjoy No Way Home. It is kind of a little lame that like they're like. And then he's still affected by the chip, but no, we fixed the chip, and he doesn't have that moment of he snapped out of it himself. Like, it's... yeah, that is that is like uh, that is kind of lame. Um, I guess they kind of need to have like the the like like scene of like in 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 No Way Home's case, they need to have like the scene of like whoa, like this actually worked. We can like reverse this, and like it makes kind of the most sense to do that with with dr octavius that way he can like help him do everything else but i i definitely see what you're saying is that he probably should have like he probably should have still been in control when he gets when he gets blipped to the other place yeah it's and i see like you know they they pick the moment but it it is and also just as far as like design goes like the arms look so cool um <laughs> just the arms look cool. He, I have, there was another sort of villain question I had where it was like, he thinks Spider-Man is dead, but then he still kidnapped Mary Jane. I'm like, why are you bothering with Mary Jane if you think Spider-Man's dead? I think it's so Harry doesn't interfere like with his, for, for, like forever plans or just in case something something comes up like it's... yeah he could also just make he just doesn't have time I'm... he doesn't care like <laughs> <laughs> and then spider-man shows up he's like i guess you're not dead well good thing i have your girlfriend yeah hostage. it's it's it's, a, it's just kind of one of those little conveniences like like him like out of everybody in the bank like picking up spider-man's like aunt and just going i'm gonna take this random yeah, woman right. away <laughs> <laughs> In the comics, actually, there is a famously a storyline where Doctor Octopus falls in love with Aunt May, and they almost get married. And there's like a very famous. Oh, they should have done that. There's a very famous comic cover with it's like Aunt May and Doc Oc at like a wedding, and I forget if other supervillains are there, but like the the attendant is like, and with this ring, Ivy, and like Spider Man's in there, and he's like shot away, and so he's like with this ring, Ivy, what? that's very good oh man uh spider-man should have uh come in to to help violet get out of that uh count olaf marriage exactly oh yeah (laughs) would have been a good crossover i'm like right we also (laughs) talked about that on this episode (laughs) (laughs) that was like four or five hours ago it's fine yeah (laughs) Oh man, yeah, no, I, yeah, the freaking arms look so cool. Um, the arms like, really what really stinks, um, there's like the, 
don't know if it's recently. It could honestly, it could be five years ago, and I believe you. But there's that Spider-Man PS4 game that came out that I really enjoyed. Um, but the problem is, is that like that probably has like one of my favorite Spider-Man designs of with like the white spider um, on his like chest. But it has like some of like the worst villain designs ever. Like everybody sucks. <laughs> like everybody's just a like everybody who isn't like the rhino is just a guy in an iron man suit sort of with like one extra thing and like unfortunately like i think like doc ock in that game is also hit as well where like his it's it stinks because like it is kind of neat to see like really slick like smooth metallic things but like there is something like really cool about things that look a little more jagged and look a little more like 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 rusty and like have a look, look a little more like practical and aren't these like sleek like nanobot looking like they pretty much move like a snake but they're metal like there's something kind of like really cool about like the um not coiled but like however like the little spaces in the arm so that way it can actually have like mobility versus it just like being bending because it's magic nano machines right like it feels like it actually has points of of like rotation, yeah. Like hinges. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of yeah. like the like I've seen a lot of people um, on Twitter and TikTok being like, I really like I've I really like the first Iron Man suit design just because like it looks like a dude wearing a suit and not like a CGI guy, <laughs> um, and I think like the same principle probably carries over to like the the Doc Ock arms. Yeah. Uh, that's a toy I would have loved to have as a kid. I'm sure if I had seen that on a shelf, I would have oh, been like. Yeah, I want to, like, bend these arms around and make it pince things, you know? That's just very tactile. Mm-hmm. I had, like, and a Doc Ock bath menacing. toy as a kid, but I think his arm, like, he was in some kind of subsuit, so he didn't really have the attachable arms. It's just, like, <laughs> just... the 90s comics version of the character. <laughs> Doc Ock minus the arms. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I have just sent him the not words chat the cover of the with this ring IV web issue, which is. But yeah, Molina <laughs> I think just brings such a pathos to this, and also gets to play a crazy villain who like, ste- it's literally the one 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 of the very few super villains who actually gets to just rob a bank. <laughs> yeah, and like throw like gold coin bags at people. Like that's that's so good. Yeah, could we talk about was this like gold bullion? Was this had somebody uh like gotten a pirate ship and gotten gold coins from their pirate yeah, ship and gotten they, they the got bank? it from what, the ending gold, of Dodgeball. What Ball. gold coins were they these? got it from the treasure chest at the ending of Dodgeball? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I oh, I absolutely that's it's such a good scene it's it's so funny because it's it's so it's so so goofy because you have like the um you have uh i can't remember the actor's name but the guy from community um i knew there was an ale in there um uh and then like them just being like oh sorry like you don't you don't apply for this and then like like oh these are the free toaster like that's only if you get a loan of 300 dollars and then it just goes sort of like pans slightly to the left and then it's just doc ock then he rips off the sides of the of the thing like he's been standing there for a little bit it's so goofy (laughs) and amazing um also oh man Oh, we we haven't even talked about like one of the most iconic scenes in this movie, which is like the the train scene. 
um, which yeah. is just like which everybody calls the subway scene, but it's clearly not a subway. It is above ground. <laughs> just wanted to point that out. It always bothers yeah. me. Yeah. Like, well, this scene was not filmed in like New York. It was like parts of this one was, but I think it was Chicago. Like it was oh. Chicago. Yeah, because does New York great, even great have scene. above ground trains? I believe it does have some elevator trains. Yes, but not very many. I can only go off the several Marvel games I played that all took place in New York. Um, I don't think there's any in the Hulk game, but there are definitely some in the Spider-Man games. <laughs> so for th- we're so close to three hours, so we can't spend a lot of time on you trying to remember which video games I played. <laughs> I think that is the perfect use of time. But yeah, like, um, yeah, I really. Not only is it like. That scene just start to finish is super good because it comes off the back of like a really good fight with um with Doc Ock. And then like from everything from like the him like like T posing across the front and like almost like falling off Ugh. to like everybody like everyone like kind of like Jesus passing him to the back. Um and then the guy yeah. going like, yo, he's just a kid. Like, no he definitely doesn't look like a thirty year old man. He's just he's just a boy. <laughs> um <laughs> and then like the oh um Joey Diaz just going like just you're gonna have to go through me. Um You're gonna go have to go through me. It's so it's really yeah. Yeah, I, I it's my it is it's the best scenes of every Spider Man movie. Even even at its stupidest, um, like an amazing Spider Man one where all the cranes like turn towards Spider Man so he has something to swing on, like it's still like it's, I think that scene is. It's yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, Even at it's, its worst, it's still amazing. It's still like a yeah, yeah. scene. Um, I mean, I love the the Staten Island Ferry scene in yeah too. But anytime where like you feel like he's gonna lose, like there's no way you know he's not Iron Man, he's not Superman, he has powers, but he's not that powerful, and like. You're looking at this guy, and he's like, he's trying, but, like, I don't know that he can do this, um, is, uh, kind of like the Spider-Man juice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always the thing, and the train sequence is good, especially because, you know, he's able to stop it, and it's a general, genuinely, like, good moment, but then he also almost, like, falls off immediately, and really is a thing where... Yeah. You know, everyone helps him, but unlike in the first movie where throwing garbage will deter the Green Goblin, it just is enough <laughs> for this guy who, like, can just knock everyone back to the side with his arms and yeah. just carry on with his plan. And then he's just a kid line. You know, it's kind of funny because, like, yeah, okay, Toby's, like, 30, but, you know, if you had pulled off his, you know, if his mask had pulled, been pulled off and, like, it was uh, Hugh Jackman under there being Wolverine, it's like, okay, like, that guy's, like, yeah. a big you know, bulky, you know, hairy superhero guy, you know, compared, no, compared to Toby, who's like, you know, just a little chump. Yeah, it's definitely like, I definitely like, it doesn't help that like, whenever I think of him, I think of like, very old man him in No Way Home. Um, (laughs) And like, and like a credit to him, like, I think he looks good for his age, because he's kind of been looking like that for like a while. Um, Like, good for him. Uh, Like, but it, it def, it's definitely and like it doesn't also doesn't help that like Tom Holland looks like such a baby, um, like 
like it is it is like baffling and like um uh yeah but uh do we have any any other any other big thoughts about spider-man or or doc ock yeah it's we didn't even talk about the hairy stuff (laughs) we'll we'll cover that more in spider-man 3 yeah, Spider-Man three Good will be a lot more like with, um, yeah. But no, it's Lolina just really good, really towering, and another one where like if he had lost to like Regina George, I'd be like, yeah, sure, I get it. But losing <laughs> to like Stiller and Dodge, it was a different time apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, but with that, I think it's finally come time to rank these things so my next in case you've forgotten well, no wait you listen but you get what we rank the movies first and then we'll rank like the villains got it i'm ready yeah i'll uh i'll go first um so for my movies uh at the bottom <laughs> pretty obviously we have dodgeball um we kind of gone into our thoughts about how it, it really is the odd one out in a surprisingly like banger week um like really good all around but somebody has to take the bottom spot um right above that i think i would have uh, a series of unfortunate events still really good um probably just again weirdly like dodgeball just maybe could have been a bit longer so it has more time to sort of develop things but also if you were to tell me that like hey here's this movie it adapts like three books and it tells the first book in like the wrong order where it has like the end of the first book after the third book um i would think it would be awful and it ended up being really good um right smack dab in the middle we have collateral just a very like fun intense like movie um definitely like worth a watch like the main two um two uh cast uh tom cruise and jamie fox giving a beautiful performance um, and then for my top two, it's extremely close, but I think I do have to give it to Spider-Man 2. Just a sl- just a, a thin web strand above Mean Girls. Um, <laughs> like, I, I think it's also, like, kind of cheating, because I definitely did, like, watch Spider-Man 2, like, snuggled in my bed, like, on my tablet, like, all cozied up and, like, had just an amazing time. I definitely set that one up to win. <laughs> And what are your movie rankings? Um, mine are very similar. I also have Dodgeball at the bottom. Uh, nostalgia could not carry this one. Um, I have uh, Lemony Snicket's Series of Unfortunate Events at number four. Pretty good. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, just uh, better as books, I think, as we talked about. Um I have Spider-Man 2 coming in at number three. I really like it, um, but it's not quite as good as Collateral, which is a movie I really love. One of my favorite Michael Mann movies. It's just so much fun. So much to enjoy and find new things every time you watch it. Uh, And then number one with a bullet uh, is Mean Girls. Um, it created a whole new holiday. Uh, how can you, how can you top that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, dodgeball, dodgeball at the bottom. I, 
you know, like five and four are going to be pretty much identical across the board because a series of unfortunate events, um, good, like it's definitely, you know, just read the books really, like watch this as its own thing, but the books are the best version of these stories. Um, then above that, this is where it's tricky, where, um, it is going to be Mean Girls, just because Collateral and Spider-Man 2, um, are just so high, high up for me, and, like, movies I love, where it's, Mean Girls just kind of winds up in the number three spot, despite that also being one of my favorite movies ever made, um, but, yeah, and then, yeah, Collateral in that number two spot, and, Spider-Man 2, like, <laughs> as much as I'm like, we have to wrap this up, it's three hours, like, the, the fun thing about this podcast is eventually we will talk about Spider-Man 2 again, I believe, and, <laughs> and I will get to say more about this film, because I adore it, and it's, like, a very important movie to me, and I'm glad we got to talk about it this time, and not just jump ahead to, like, Amazing Spider-Man 2, um, but how do the villains stack up? Um, so yeah, my villains are probably going to stack up uh, pretty similarly, honestly. Um, I think right at the bottom, I think I, I have Dodgeball. Um, unfortunately, it's he is a he is not a character that stands out even in his own movie, which is unfortunate. Um, with maybe with a little bit of rework, we could have could have made him something special. Um, and then right above that, uh, again, I have series of unfortunate events. I think Jim Carrey is giving like a, a, a really good performance. Um, uh, like he's definitely putting on like different voices. He's like having like different sort of like postures. Um, like I, I wish, I wish this movie series could have got to continued to kind of see what more he could offer, but fortunately it ends where it ends. Um, how uh how uh, what an unfortunate series um uh right in the middle i have doc ock uh from spider-man 2 i it's really good really good action scenes um i just maybe want to wanted like a hair more of octavius and um uh in really in relation to uh the actual like doc ock or maybe have like a couple more scenes of him like trying to like fight back the arms uh, in some capacity. Um, and then for my top two, I think I will have uh, Tom Cruise's Collateral with uh, Rachel McAdams, Mean Girls, uh, uh, Regina at the very top spot. Just a just a great villain performance, very vindictive. Um, just like kind of the like the movie is is like so like completed by her like performance and everything just goes so perfectly well so that is my villain list nice um my villain list is pretty different from my movie list i think dodgeball at the bottom still um i'm gonna put tom cruise from collateral at four uh it's a great performance but i don't really think of it as a villain so much he's a professional doing his job but he's not really a villain out to get anybody so much maybe um and then at three i'm putting jim carrey as count olaf uh uh he's doing his jim carrey thing and it works and uh the characters are fun and he is very evil and scary uh and those kids are in real danger 
and then uh, in second place is Doc Ock. Uh, it's just a, he's fun. He's a comic book villain. He's got those arms. We love it. Uh, and then number one is Regina George. The burn book is so evil, and the the switcheroo of the burn book is so evil uh, and villainous. Um, and, but she's iconic. So yeah. Um, and for my list. It's, yeah, honestly, I'm trying to think, no, it's not quite identical to my movie list, um, because I believe Collateral and Mean Girls are going to be switched, but yeah, Dodgeball at the bottom, <laughs> just, mm, maybe if it was a weaker year, but like, and this year, come on. Then Jim Carrey, um, doing a very good job, like, a lot of fun, love the disguises, but it's... Again, much like Mean Girls being on three of my rankings, it's like, you're a very good villain performance in a year where, like, three of the best <laughs> villain performances ever given are your competition. Um, and I would rank those three on, yeah, in the number three spot, Tom Cruise, Collateral, like, really good, really <laughs> compelling, play more villains, Cruise, and then, hmm, honestly... I almost want to say it's a tie between Melina and Regina George, mm-hmm. just because, like, or Rachel McAdams. Um, <laughs> I'm, it's a very long episode. Like, wait. Honestly, I think I will just say it's a tie. It's like, I can't pick between them. They're both good oh, for, like... come on. You know what? I, mean, I, I think, Kenny, you get... Because the MTV Movie Awards had one in 1999, I feel like you and me each get one. Yeah, um, I am. Just, I am willing to say this is my. It is one... your Spider-Man Two is your favorite, one of your favorite movies, and yeah, I yeah, I am it. willing to say yeah, this is like a tie between like <laughs> the tragic, like just the tragic, compelling, like sinisterness of Alfred Molina, and then the like just hilarious cruelty teen girl, quintessential teen girlness, which is also impressive because Rachel McAdams is like the oldest cast member in that movie. <laughs> Of Mean Girls, right? She, yeah. So, hmm. oh, his, a historic moment. Yeah, the first time where I'm like, I literally can't pick between these two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, and if listeners are complaining, look, you got over three hours in this episode. Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> somebody um, booted up this one. Went, wow, that's a long one. But at least at the end, I'll I'll know which one Kenny likes more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, just email us. Um, yeah, give us give us a second anyways, to clear our minds. <laughs> yeah, we are now at recommendation of the week, um, where we each get to recommend something to whatever we want to people. Uh, well. What do you guys have to recommend this week? <laughs> oh, um, so uh, I was, uh, I recently recorded for um, the Heavy Metal podcast. Um, uh, I, as much as I want to recommend this episode, the episode that I'm on, uh, I'm instead going to recommend the thing that I watched, which was A Pup Named Scooby-Doo. Um, it has really cute, like, Muppet babies version of the Scooby-Doo gang. Um, it's got like really fun animation like they really push the models a lot um, which I was really surprised by considering that like kind of older Scooby-Doo are despite like chase scenes even in chase scenes are like pretty stilted 
Um, so that was very surprising. I would give one of those a watch. It also has a very catchy theme song. So that is a, a pup named Scooby-Doo. Great. Uh, Great recommendation. Love that show. I've never seen it. Yeah. So, so good. Um, and a great yeah. podcast. Yeah. Um, Ethan will be back on very soon um, for his fourth appearance. <laughs> like next episode soon. <laughs> Um, I, um, would like to recommend a TV show on Netflix called, uh, Old Enough. Um, it's a Japanese reality show. Uh, it's in Japanese, I believe it's called My First Errand. And it is about, um, uh, little kids in Japan who, um, are sent on to, to go run their first errand for their parents and the kids are like really really little like two three four years old and the episodes are like really short like 10 or 15 minutes long and um apparently this is like a really common um like ritual in japan japanese culture to to sort of make it um like a big event to sort of send your kid out to like you know do some sort of errand for you um that's like relatively simple but this is like not something in american culture and i assume not in canadian culture either um just send, like a really really little kid like literally out to the grocery store um or something similar like all by themselves and sometimes they go ride the bus or um you know they go you know really far all by themselves and the camera crew follows them and um it's really really cute and it's really fun to see them like succeed uh to and help out their parents and uh anyway, it's called old enough and it's on netflix and uh it's really kenny fun. am i crazy or did you did you not recommend that uh in our 2004 episode or am i crazy Probably. i think because i think i i think you did i think i think i just finished did editing you? that one i think you i feel like you did i'm gonna have to go listen back um did that no, air? Because I've been, I was listening. No, I, and I, I think was, it was. Nobody it recommended this. Yeah, yet. it will come out. The episode will come out tomorrow. But I feel like because I, I just finished editing that uh, during my <laughs> lunch break at work today. I feel like Kenny. Right, it's either something or something very similar. Because I remember, yeah, I must. I definitely brought it up because <laughs> me. Well, I think around the time we watched that, like I watched a few episodes with my dad, and then he watched more. And we were talking on the phone. He's like, "When was your first Saturday?" And I'm like, "I don't know." I was like. 10 like i'm like it's probably when because there was a point where i used to live near a kfc and at a certain point they would just send me on my own to like buy the chicken on like toonie tuesdays or whatever and then my dad's like yeah i was seven i used to get my dad cigarettes i'm like oh right you grew up in the 60s just different time like it's... <laughs> um but no i think mags gave a really That's good so sell funny. of it more than i did um <laughs> no it's it's really i mean i've gone so long no, but it's it's really it's really fascinating like look into a different culture japanese culture i like looked it up and was reading about it a little bit japanese culture is much more pedestrian oriented so there's not as much of a fear of like these little kids like all getting hit by cars <laughs> um and uh you know all of their like neighbors it's like not uncommon to see like a little kid out by themselves because this is something that happens all the time so like adults out in the neighborhood will like see a little kid and they might 
you stop and say like, oh, you know, are you helping out your mom and dad today? And so uh, everybody's just kind of looking out for each other. And it's just a really nice kind of, you know, happy thing to, to, to watch. And sometimes the kids get frustrated if they get lost or they forget what they have to do because they're so little. But it's, you know, they all get praised at the end of the episode. And it's just so yeah. nice. Um, and I am going to recommend... There's like a few things I could recommend this week, but I'm going to pick the thing that is, um, yeah, or, yeah, if this wasn't our longest episode, I'd do more than one, but the Bob's Burgers movie currently in theaters, um, for a, I mean, hopefully it go, yeah, it'll still be there when this episode comes out, but it is just, if you have never seen the show it does a really good job giving you everything you need to know which is it's yeah it's about a family they run a burger restaurant the burger restaurant is frequently in trouble it's and the premise of this movie is um much in the spirit of the show which did some kind of larger scale episodes early in the run and then kept things small it's something where like there is kind of a murder mystery involved, but it's largely just a movie where a sinkhole opens up in front of the restaurant seven days before they have to make an important loan payment that all their restaurant equipment is tied up in. And it's really fun. There's some great songs in it. It's, like, funny. I believe even people who haven't seen the show, like, are, like enjoy this film. I've seen every episode, so I'm like, yeah. This is great. This is everything I wanted, like, a Bob's Burgers movie to be, and yeah, go watch that. Um, but, anyways, uh, Max, thanks for coming on and being our new longest episode ever champ. Um, it's, it's probably good that our longest episode is no longer one where the guest is like, I hate all of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, As- yeah, look, I mean, these were, these was, this was a really amazing crop of movies. I feel very lucky that I got to talk to it. Yeah about it with you guys the Jesse episode's also really good so like I don't care that she didn't like the movies but it was just funny that was her longest <laughs> episode uh, but do you have anything you want to plug at this time um if you want to follow me on Letterboxd you can see what I think about other movies um at Maggie G cool uh what do you got Ben um as always I have my Twitter uh at GackGack um and then in the bio of that there's also my link tree um, I've also taken to logging everything on Letterbox now. Um, uh, my reviews are either my my number rankings are never jokes except for the one where it is a joke. Um, but my reviews range from like my genuine thoughts to to little jokes. Um, something that's probably never been done on Letterbox before. Yeah, the first person to make jokes on Letterboxd. <laughs> yeah, I think a little bit of brevity for the, to, the, to that website. You know, I think too many people are writing very long and serious reviews. And you need more people re- reviewing say, yeah. Fight with the review, Oops, Meant to Hit Fight Club. That is a weirdly popular review. <laughs> like, most of your reviews are like, I like them, and, oh, by an always called the button. That one has like 15 likes. <laughs> I guess I guess I have awakened the fight fan base. They're just happy anybody's talking about it. <laughs> um just following Ben on Letterboxd right now. 
But yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Like a Wolverine. You can find me on Letterboxd at Like a Wolverine. Um, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Gold Popcorn Pod. Our Instagram, I will eventually, eventually I will update it, and it'll be right before our upcoming hiatus. Um, but like it's yeah, that's past the golden popcorn, and you can email us at past the golden popcorn at gmail dot com. If we did not spend enough of this three-hour episode on, like, something that you thought was important. Um, and, yeah. That about does it for this show. Um, our theme song is by Matt Samard. Our artwork is by Ben. We are on Friendly Mush. There's other cool podcasts, like Heavy Metal on there. Um, if you like the show, rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends. Maybe don't tell them to listen to this episode first, because it's like a marathon one, but, <laughs> you know, pick, pick a good one of ours that are like sub two hours. Get them, get them hooked, then show them this. Um, and all that's left to do is talk about what's coming up next. So, Best Villain 2006, which will have the return of our friend Ethan Brundine for his fourth appearance. The nominees are Tobin Bell, Saw 2, Rafe Fiennes, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, uh, Cillian Murphy, Batman Begins, Tilda Swinton, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the winner, Hayden Christensen, Star Wars, Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. So yeah, another, yeah. another pretty good crop yeah, I of might, films. Uh, this one um, might be, I'm going to probably do a lot of homework for this one, just to watch it maybe probably episode two and saw one just so i have a i'm not gonna i don't i think i've already did enough harry potter homework last season um yeah you're like i don't need to know where this kid starts oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then i finally get i've never seen batman begins i always think the dark knight is the first nolan one um it is you've never, never seen it never seen batman begins i've I'm going to send you a specific TV commercial for this movie that I'm sure I will want to spend so much time talking about. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, Mags, thanks again for joining. Feel free to come back anytime for maybe a shorter episode. But if you want to try and beat this record, like, yeah. I'll definitely be back for Outer Banks Season 3 whenever that gets nominated. Um, yeah. Outer Banks not nominated this year, but Emily in Paris is back. A real snub. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, Always a treat. Uh, thanks for being on. This is really fun. Um, and thanks everyone for listening to this. Uh, keep passing that golden popcorn and just remember, I no, I just don't have time to do like a incentive. <laughs> What's an end? Oh man! Um, uh, on Wednesdays exactly. we wear pink. On Wednesdays we wear pink. <laughs> this, this comes out on Thursday. <laughs> Bye everybody. Bye, everybody. Um, editing this one took super long, um, so I thought I would share this with you. Ba, ba, ba. Bum, 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 bum. She can kill with a smile, she can moon with her eyes. 
And she can ruin her faith with her casual lies. And she only reveals what she wants you to see. She hides like a child, but she's always a woman to me.